Welcome to the Truth CSGO podcast, episode 52. This week I'm joined by CSGO journalist Max Millett, and we talk all things ECS Season 6, Toyota Master Bangkok, and a little bit about journalism and dating. Hey guys, this is Electro. Hey guys, I'm Guardian. This is Daps. This is Nico. This is Nifty. This is Chris J. This is Ferry. Code Zero. Flusher. This is Kerrigan. Are you listening to the truth? The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. CSGO podcast. The truth. CSGO podcast. The truth. CSGO podcast. Are we rushing in or are we going sneaky beaky like? So if you're not aware of who Max is, he's a 19-year-old journalism student who's made a name for himself uh, in the Counter-Strike scene, beginning with being Thorin's research assistant and has now established himself as a commentator on the scene in his own right for a host of online esports publications. I was very impressed when I met Max at IEM Sydney. He's got a lot of maturity and confidence despite barely being out of his huggies. And as you can see by the length of this podcast, we went way off the reservation by the end of it. And we spend a good amount of time talking about the state of modern journalism and the way artificial intelligence is changing it. And as it's becoming somewhat par for the course on this pod, we talk about the ins and outs of 21st century dating. For the most part, I haven't edited our rambling conversation except where I went off half-cocked with a bunch of stuff that I really have no idea about and wouldn't be able to defend in a court of law. And I should just mention prior to this conversation, we did have about 15 minutes of solid bants, which I haven't included because Max's microphone wasn't on. Uh, But for the sake of providing a little background to some of the references we make in the actual conversation, I'll just let you know that prior to this conversation, we did establish that Max has grown up next to a military base, is very used to hearing gunfire and seeing planes flying overhead, um, which led us to the conclusion that he might one day actually be useful in the advent of a terrorist attack. Now, this episode gets into some pretty adult stuff by the end, so perhaps if you're with your kids in the car, maybe exercise caution. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't realize we were even recording. I I just started recording on my end just then. I've been recording you for about two days now. Oh, sick. (laughs) Yeah, I was wondering where the uh, sort of the glistening binoculars were coming from. I'm glad that that was (laughs) at least someone on you. Yeah, just I always look out my window. I'm like, geez, it's so odd that there's always just this star that's sort of out my like window. It's always like even during the daytime, I see it reflecting like directly into my bedroom as I'm watching Counter-Strike. It's very it's interesting that we both had questions because I was wondering what that odd grunting was at about 2 a.m. <laughs> last night. But anyway, that was me just watching Astralis demos, man. That was just like. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So we had uh, ECS season six. Why don't we just say hello? How are you, Max? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, since I am Sydney, right? Yeah. What have you been doing? No, nah, let's Ooh. not talk about that. Let's talk about ECS season ECS, six. ECS, okay. Sure. <laughs> That's yeah, that all got like way too existential. It's like, what have I been doing? Just like, let's get, no, no, no. We'll get existential <laughs> after the matches. Let's get onto the counter strike. Okay. Well, what I thought we would do just for the group stages at least is to just talk about uh, the teams individually. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cloud9, we saw them playing with Valens because Golden was out for some sort of ongoing health issue. Did you have any uh, scoop on what that might have been? Oh, on, on Golden's uh, health issues, per se. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I, I wish I had the connections to know that. I just see the news article and keep scrolling. That's a, a spot of lupus, perhaps? Lupus. <laughs> is, is, is a- any bets on what it might be? I, I haven't checked the odds. I would say... Um, a touch or, of ball cancer? Yeah, maybe. Or like some form of... Uh, um, like arthritic sprain, uh, like for playing for playing too much, like a carpal tunnel syndrome, maybe I don't know. What what would be the odds? What's paying like a dollar twenty on what Valens is sick with? 
Uh, golden, sorry. Well, I, I, the stomach stomach bugs seem to be all the rage right now. <laughs> yeah, they, they, it is pretty hot right now. It's pretty. Some it's, sort it's of on trend. ulcerous. Yeah. <laughs> Growth. <laughs> Ulcers are pretty on trend right now. I can confirm. Look, hey, I was I was out the other day, and I'm like, man, all these all my mates they have ulcers, and I'm here with FOMO. You know, I wish I had an ulcer, dude. I like tra- tra- traveling soon. God damn. I thought you said for a second that I'm just here. With, I'm just here foaming, and I was like, okay, so you've got rabies, but it's not rabies yeah. is a bit two thousand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so last year, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, that whatever health issue it was, uh, Valens didn't do so well, and Cloud Nine were destroyed by Astralis in a best of one, and then Mouse Sports in a best of three. Mm. And the obvious takeaway there is like, even with Golden out, like this is the result you'd expect from Cloud Nine, just a 16 like i didn't doesn't even read i don't watch cloud nine games that much anymore because there's there's no point in uh because it's like you have limited time to watch a certain amount of odds and a sort of limited amount of like cognitive space to form opinions mm-hmm. and i don't know like cloud nine just seems to fall out of all the um wavelengths that i connect to in cs they just uh well why don't we stay in na we'll talk about liquid they had a similarly rotten start they went down to north and then nrg and Mm -hmm. twist um put out a statement after this saying he had some stomach issues true so on trend on trend good to see Hmm. any words about liquid i mean they've been uh, on a bit of a choking spree this year (sighs) in the finals yeah look it's just one of those things where uh you have to look at the teams they lost to before like it's it, it's an important balance and they did lose a best one to north and north is one of those teams that i think many teams can lose a best of one to to be honest and um the best of three lost to nrg it's like nrg is a good team nrg is a really good team this isn't a team that is eighth to tenth in the world this is a team that's like fifth to eighth in the world which is a very large difference there because if you think liquid is an elite side so an s-class team then nrg is essentially the tier below them and that's a, you know, it's like you'd like to see Liquid maybe be more competitive in that series, especially on overpass. But I think uh, as much credit goes to like NRG's T side and to Daps' calling as much as it does to uh, Liquid not necessarily playing up to par. Um, and the health issues, I don't know, what, what, what do you think of that? I, I don't know what to make of that because it's always one of those weird things interpreting uh, what impact actually has on the game. Yeah, and you got to wonder whether Twist would have put out that statement had they won. Exactly. You know, were they through to the the, the semis? Um, uh, I don't know. I feel like if you're really focused on the game, you're not going to be worrying too much about a stomach issue. But what do I know? It could be could could feel like knives, you know, stabbing him from the inside out. So we don't really know the extent of his pain, do we? No, we don't. If only his hair changed color, the more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if he had like a mood ring slash hair yeah haircut, definitely it would, um, it'd be like the worst form of super saiyan as well it's like i'm miffed and it just goes to like a light purple just <laughs> it's like dude where's the golden just rage a where's move. yeah, yeah. <laughs> dude I, I want you firing an all cylinders twist i don't want purple head twist i want like fiery golden super saiyan twist yeah did you actually did you see the statement daps uh, made in i think it was an hltv interview where he's like we don't really have the support around us that other teams do uh, no, I didn't, but that seems like something he would say. Ooh, what, I, I sense a, a slight sharp edge there. What oh, no, 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 no sharp edge. It just makes sense within the uh, context of contrasting it to liquid and framing it in contrast to liquid. Um, especially because you have to think of like the scope of those two teams in terms of like liquid have like, they're just, just, just organizationally. 
I think they mm. would probably have a lot more support. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Would be mm. my, would be yeah, my just, hazard, I guess. Yeah. Just trying to sniff out some drama. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> I respect sports, that. I respect the yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, Mouse sports were the next to go out in this group stages. They went down to MIBR and then mm-hmm. Australis, and they are not looking like they found their confidence again after the snacks experiment. Actually. Uh, Stico had a little interview with HLTV where he said he's a little more confident. He's come back, mm. uh, you know, with um, maybe he's done some push-ups, so to speak. And mm. uh, that might actually have thrown them off compared to what they were actually expecting to mm-hmm. get back with him and the team. What do you think about that? Um, well, I mean, you have to look at it. Like, they've been the only people who can play Astralis close on Nuke, right? That's something. That's, uh, that's, that's a big deal. They nearly beat Astralis twice on Nuke. It looked like they were going to mm. be able to do it, but Astralis went full clutch mode. Were able to maintain their streak. I think in terms of Sticko, and is it Sticko or Sticko? Whatever, it doesn't matter. In terms of Sticko and how he, um, like his return fits into the roster, to me, Mouse has been a team that is uh, been sort of a husk for a long time. I don't really see it as a full roster. I think it's... Uh, partly frustrating to see players like Sunny still sort of banging it out, grinding it out on a side um like mouse because in theory and on paper these these five players as we've seen throughout all four players rather has we've seen throughout various points in this year their peaks are so high that it feels as though um maybe their net value as a team is better if their separate parts try to help out other teams who are failing rather than uh or try to bolster other teams rather than sort of fledging together as an entity would uh how i look at mouse why do you think they are husk-like? Do you think, you know, if they brought in a new coach, do you think they, they it might be a morale issue at this um, point? Well, the problem is, is that the, and this is the really interesting conversation around Mouse, is that uh, when the team was formed, it was formed around LMB, T and Chris J. And you have to, like, it's, it's sort of hard to understand how insane it is that Mouse even is a top five team now without being able to put yourself in the shoes of LMBT and uh, Chris J when they formed this team. Because you think, like, Rops... Who was Rops before he joined Mouse Sports? Nobody. Like, just some FPL star that everyone raved about. Sonny was on Penta on, like, another failing mixed team. He wasn't anything. And Oscar, sort of, he had his various points throughout 2016 where he was good on on Hellraisers, uh, but hardly to the level that we saw at, like, a top three opera in the world that we saw this year. And so... um, it's it's crazy that they're a top team to begin with, but the way that they were formed is with all these parts specifically sought out in a very balanced way in the sense that like Rops and Stiko are very clearly passive components and they um, like very characteristically enable players like Chris J and Sonny who are very clearly the aggressive players to make plays in the early round and Oscar's very clearly an independent, very stable veteran star who can make huge impact. And so when you have a very balanced paper, uh, balanced on paper team like that, it becomes very difficult to try to figure out who to replace. Because if everyone's in theory balanced, then it's like, why should you replace anyone on the team? It's the problem that someone like FaZe has. And it's the problem that someone like Liquid may have. Because everything makes sense right now. And in on, on paper, there should be nothing wrong with this team. This should be a good team. That's not how Counter-Strike teams work. It's like you have to make those crazy changes in-game. You've got to, like... Um, have a player like Chris J who can just drop 35 kills out of nowhere with like a 90% headshot rating. You got to have someone like Oscar um, making these crazy plays for mouse sports still ha- to, to, to still have breath. Um, hmm. So I don't know. It's a I really still think Chris J has got the best 1v5 of the year. 
or even after Valdez at ECS? Uh, yeah, actually, I liked Chris J's more. It happened faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, it happened with an orb, True. Which, is, which is slightly harder. He was under a lot more pressure. Valdez was cleverer, mm-hmm. but Sneakier. Chris J's was just, um, yeah, it was sneakier. It was actually, when was Guardians 1v5 on Overpass? That was, was that last year or earlier this I year? I think it was this year, but it was, um, that was sort of a more punishing 1v5. I like 1v5s that involve out, um, because from memory, the Guardian 1v5 happened on tracks in Overpass and it was just him punishing a series of repeaks from, was it MIBR or something? No, it was, it was Fnatic. Fnatic, yeah. A series of repeaks. Um, yeah, then he went and planted up on the A side, so he had a little bit true. of sneaky, little bit sneaky bus- business. But see, the Chris J 1v5 to me just felt like someone imposing their will with a gun that kills someone in one shot. And the rhythm, mm. the rhythm of the shots was a big deal because it was mm. no pause between each shot, so he just sort of flowed around the site. So I know, mm. yeah, maybe mechanically that was more impressive, but I also like the subversive nature of Valde as a player and what he's able to achieve in sort of like the dark art of a clutch because there's no right or wrong answer and that's just how you navigate it. And Valde's thought process is so interesting to watch in that one. I feel like you use the term dark art because he looks like a, someone from the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it's true, it's true. He does cast spells. I've seen it with my own eyes. Mm. You know, there's something that people don't really talk about, but surely I can't be alone here. I really, I feel like Oscar has a really like, have a beer with me face. I really want to have a beer. I, I, I would yeah. love a, like a, some sort of, even if it's a short form content, <laughs> show where yeah. it's just oscar with a beer just having a chat to sort someone. of like a really shitty version of jerry seinfeld in cars talking to like other comedians just like oscar yeah, yeah, yeah. oscar with a beer on the way to an event and just he has like a really check interview with someone it's like how are you good i too am well and then the interview just ends or something like that well yeah yeah but, <laughs> but i'd like i'd like the interview to keep going okay. so that it goes beyond awkwardness True. and we do get to see a little bit of what's, you know, under the uh, Oscar surface. True. Uh, let's move on to NRG. Now, we did mention them before, but they were knocked out by North. They mm. came to a best of three. And that was, a I don't know if you saw this, this was one of the most evenly matched series I've seen in a long while. It's back and forth. And then, as we mentioned, the Valde had a very nutty 1v5 on Nuke. What, which team do you think is better? Because North are mm. up and coming right now. They have seemed to have reversed their fortunes, especially in the online games recently. And NRG have been sort of nudging at the edge of that S class, you might say, for a while now. Is it North's time to step over them? Hmm. I think people forget when MSL left, they didn't lose, like, having three good players in North. Because at least in my mind, when I saw, uh, like, Gade and Cadium joined, I sort of looked at North as... They're a very frustrating team to analyse and they're a very sort of tiring team to analyse at times, especially with MSL. um, Because, you know, they played this way for so long that when the change came in, I was pretty sceptical and not very interested, especially because they didn't have great results uh, right off the bat. I think in terms of comparing them to NRG in that sense, it's like they still have really good components. They still have Valde, Kyobi and AZ. And just for that, it's... uh, um, like immediately puts them in the conversation of uh, any series. And I think Gade is one of those players that often defines how matches go against NRG. Because while I can't say I like took notes or anything on uh, the series, I do remember like briefly watching it live and seeing like a lot of uh, Gade impact kills. I mm. think it was on um, maybe the second or third map. I think the first mm-hmm. one. 
Um, and like in in on paper, like all four of these players outside of Cadian, uh, you know, really good to great riflers that should be able to easily contest with some of the firepower that NRG has. Uh, putting down the obvious caveat being NRG has someone like Cirque, who's this crazy explosive orper who can do a lot of things that the um, sort of lack of explosive orpers on North can't. So I know what do you think mm. of North NRG? Uh, I'm I'm interested to see what Cadian's doing. I I don't really know him very yes, well. Yes. I think one of the more pressing uh, things that um, has come to mind when watching them is that Gade really reminds me of like there's there was a bunch of TV movies in the '90s where. Yeah. This woman would sort of, she'd lose her husband in a car accident and then the lawyer who'd help her with the estate was this really lovely guy, really, you know, like uh, classy, wealthy, friendly, loving guy who she then sort of fell into the arms of and who turned out to be a, a killer. And I feel like Gabe looks like that guy. <laughs> it's I'm, sure he's not, I'm sure he's nothing like that at all. Yeah. He's a lovely guy, but that just every time I look at him, I just, I just, I'm flashing. Back there, there is like, some like, very like odd uh, Bond villain, Bond goon vibes coming out from North as a whole. Valde definitely has that quality about him. <laughs> like I think AZ could definitely. You know how there's always the whiz kid who's like hacking into something, and, oh, that's uh, true. and like mm. the techno guy. I feel like mm. AZ could definitely be sort of filled into that category. And then Kyobe just feels like the protagonist. I don't know why. It must be his jawline. He just it just feels like he needs to save something all the time. Yeah, but you mean an Alex Kidd in Miracle World? Oh, dude, I wish I got that reference, but I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> all, right. all, all, all my all my thirty year old brothers again there. Uh, yeah, I, I I agree with you, but the um, uh, who was the? Uh, oh yeah, I feel like there's um there's a room at some point for some sort of kickstarted movie with all the techno guys getting together to have their own movie you know yeah for sure for sure hacking into the mainframe character well, i'm pretty sure that's what just like a dream hack event is it's just like a bunch of these people just getting together <laughs> and just all whiz kids and just playing a big land pretty sure we already have that all right we are going a bit off the road here uh let's go to mibr they actually were looking a bit more serrated than mm-hmm. we've seen them recently they took down astralis Two to one in the best of three. Fallen, uh, getting back some of that train magic. Fur going a little vintage. Um, then come semis time, they went up against North. They shattered them on train, which was North's pick two, which seemed a bit weird. I don't know why you would pick train against Fallen after seeing what they did to Australis. Yeah. And uh, they were then shattered on Inferno, but then proved the better prepared on Dust 2. Um, maybe we should wait and chat about MIBR after we've talked about the finals here because... We did have another contender who went down, which was NIP. Mm-hmm. Uh, and NIP were looking like they were still continuing their slow ascendancy. They beat NRG and North, faced Astralis in the semis. And I thought it was going to be a very close match because um, I think it was, was it Copenhagen where they... Blast, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Blast. Was it Blast where they put up a good fight or perhaps beat Astralis? I think, yeah, I think they beat them in a best of one, as they've done a few times. They've beaten very low-key... They beat them at uh, the uh, Face It major group challenger stage or something in a best of one. That's right. On Mirage and mm. Double OT. And mm. um, I, if my memory doesn't mistake, uh, that might have been the only time they've beaten them outright. But for some reason, I want to say that they beat them in a, upset them in a series as well, but lost a series. I don't know. But it's crazy that they've been able it's to not- take maps off of mm. Astralis given where they stand. Hmm. Yeah, there's some there's some sort of magic that uh, they have that seems to counteract them because when it comes to like for instance the, the third map in this series which was Inferno, uh, where Nip got blown out sixteen to five, it becomes pretty obvious. <clears throat> pardon me, how much better Astralis is 
prepared mm-hmm. and how much better practice they are and how much more work they've put into their retakes and setups and utility usage and stuff. Um, at least on certain maps, I mm-hmm. think. So, you know, do, you, do you see NIP putting in that sort of improvement that would require them... Sorry, that, that sort of improvement that would allow them to consistently beat a team like uh, Astralis. Well, or are they always just going to be a magic, magic upset yeah, team? Yeah. Well, that's 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 actually a really good way of framing it. Because when I see, I've I've always characterized Dennis. Whenever Dennis is on a team and whenever he's leading a team, I call him like the Prince of Chaos, because he just sort of uh, the way he calls and the way he likes to play is just it, it's insane. It's, it doesn't make sense within the context of how like we normally conceive of these Scandinavian teams and how they should operate. To me, Nip is a side, especially under sort of like the leadership of Lecro and with the likes of Forrest, Get Right and Rez in the team and with Peter not being exactly the most hands-on structured coach, they're always going to be their side that exists on the peripheries of elite play, but at a very dangerous level. And I think their overall firepower is slept on. I think it's underrated how strong Nip's individuals can actually be. And they're talked about quite a lot for how strong they are individually. I think from each player to player, especially with the way Forrest has been playing recently, I think this is an incredibly dangerous side. And I think it's important to also understand that uh, there's a very specific reason why they're able to beat Astralis um, and, and why Astralis loses games in general. It's that you, you, you have to be able to, first of all, match Astralis on an individual man-for-man level. And then you have to be able to make the game scrappy and you have to be able to get momentum and put them on the back foot and be relentless. And you can't give Astralis any space because if you do, they're going to win games off of it. That's why they're so good in these like double OT, 16-13 or like 15-13, 15-12 scenarios because that's when teams can start making small mistakes or start um, playing not to lose is playing to win. And that's when Astralis sort of can pounce and take steal the series out from you. But Nip is one of those teams that are just so scrappy and they're so relentless and they're so willing to get in the face of an opponent, even if it is the best team in the world, that I think they'll always be dangerous, especially when you have five players that all share that mentality in an assist in a system that allows them to do so. Um, so yeah, I, I like watching Nip's games just because it's sort of my secret... It's, you know how, like, 40-year-old men secretly listen to Taylor Swift in the car on the way home from work, like, shake it off or something? Um, yeah, 40-year-old uh, men, 34-year-old men, whatever. 19-year-olds, yeah. <laughs> just, what, oh, dude, it's whatever, man, yeah. Um, de- Nip is my, like, shake it off. That's my that's my Taylor Swift song that I don't I don't tell people about. I love looking at Nip games because it's, uh, it's, it's not pretty CS, but it's effective CS when you have the players they have on hand. Hmm. Well, let's just walk back a little second because you did mention old mate Dennis and when he's leading teams, things get a little insane. What, what do you mean by that? Um, well, you have to sort of think of the um, sides he's played in and the sides that he's led the most effectively because he was obviously the leader of that Fnatic side that won um, how, many game, how many tournaments in a row was it? It was at the start of 2016. Well, like end of 2015, start 2016. I think it was four tournaments in a row um, that they won under Dennis's leadership. And this was after Pronax left the side and Dennis came in. And um, those series of wins are often characterized as being a series of wins that just should never have happened. <laughs> as in, they won five, uh, four, five tournaments in a row, but all of them were just done in a fashion that didn't necessarily make them feel like the best team in the world. Because, you know, when mm. Astralis wins, because it was also a weak scene at the time and they were sort of able to capitalize on the instability of the post-Collusion Poker period and 
um, play this very, very loose and fast style under Dennis's leadership where uh, players were allowed to sort of operate in their own spots and they weren't necessarily tied to each other in a way that would uh, inhibit individual players in any way. Because uh, at the time, I think the lineup was... Um, JW was definitely in the lineup. I think OLFM was still in the team at the time. And so in, from my memory, I think it was just JW, <laughs> Dennis, and OLFM just crushing it. OLFM. OLFM. Am, am, am I, have I made a social faux pas? <laughs> nah, dude. What's the opposite of a faux pas? A bro pas? Yeah. <laughs> a, um, a faux... Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. It's a beautiful... It, just a par, I guess. It would be a par, right? <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we are now going deeper into history uh, than this podcast has ever been. So, oh, I like okay. Um, Lecro did mention that he, the way he leads is basically getting a little bit from everybody. So, okay. a little bit of input from everybody, which, um, which obviously there is that Dennis factor then involved. Um, let's double back and go back to MIBR. As we said, they took down uh, Astralis and mm-hmm. they took down North, which meant that they were up against Astralis in a grand final, which um, Always fun. just ended. Yeah, which was pretty juicy. Um, map one was Inferno. Uh, that was pretty close. Astralis's T side was better than their CT side and MRBI had some good reads. Actually, Yanko seemed to have a lot more input than mm. I've previously noticed him having. There was a lot of chatter back and forth um it finally went to astralis sixteen fourteen, when mibr seemingly stupidly went through a smoke top of uh, a rushing against an eco any any thoughts on this uh, on this map um well touching on the yanko point specifically last night actually uh in a very strange situation while i was out i managed to watch the ecs um, documentary on coaches and mm. um i found that very interesting because yanko plays a part in that uh doco and mm. uh the see the way he talks to the team and it's not uh because the his body language and the way he sort of leans into the players he seems very authoritative but in my head when i always saw that it was always way more like let's go boys you got this hey fall and fall keep it up you, you're doing good you're doing good just way more motivating than uh mm-hmm. structuring but then in the doco it actually uh, the camera is in a spot where you can hear what he's saying to the players. And uh, it's way, way more strategic than I, what I thought it was. It was something mm. along the lines of, you know, all right, they play A here and then very clearly outlining uh, how he sees the structure of the other team, what they're currently doing to play against that structure and how they should alter their own game in order to counter the other team. And so when, when I saw that, I was extremely surprised. So it's... Um, it's almost no surprise as a result that we see him in the most intensive and important games because coaches obviously want their team to win and they're looking to contribute in any way they can to help that we're seeing under pressure when MIBR are so close, so close to be able to get the trophy that he's the, that's when he dials in. That's when he focuses mm-hmm. up. Yeah, I, I, <clears throat> I hear what you're saying. Like just watching him, you may think, well, he's he, he sort of seems to be clapping and talking a bit. Yeah. But if you think about Yanko, like he wasn't on a desk because he was such a motivating force on the desk, was he? Yeah. He was on the desk because he has a good brain for the game. So, <clears throat> yeah, it was it was pretty clear, especially in, in this Inferno map, that he was telling Fallen what to do basically in the next round, uh, which is great. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Uh, map two was Overpass mm. and... 
the defining Australis versus MIBR overpass map for me was always PGL oh, in the group dude. stages. Stop when it. When these guys just anti-stratted fallen mm-hmm. just to the nth degree, especially device, just knowing exactly exactly yes. where fallen was going to be picking that in the bathrooms every time. Every time, love it. Yeah. Uh, obviously, these teams have both defined the meta on this map at some point, but mm-hmm. I think Australis started off this one looking very sloppy. They were losing opening kills to some awkward pushes. Uh, it looked like SK, I keep on trying to say SK, Australis, uh, <laughs> fucking MIVR was uh, reading them pretty well. And you know what? One of the things that struck me in um, since the beginning of this tournament was that we started to see more clutch scenarios where cold zero was the last person left which to me that was a hallmark of how sk would structure their rounds you know in their dominance last year and it means that like they've they've worked out their roles a bit better so i think it was fur in one of the interviews perhaps who was talking about they weren't quite sure who was going to be you know the lurker at this point because none of them really have traditionally done that Mm -hmm. but you did see on overpass that Tarek and Stewie were often the ones who were either entering or lurking. Or sometimes it was fur, but generally it was one of those two, which meant that we did get a scenario where Cold Zero was the sort of the shoulders that everyone else stood on when they were all dead. And that to me is a sign that this team is basically coming back to form, right? They've worked out the roles. They've worked out these two US players and where they're going to be positioned and they're able to use that most valuable asset of theirs uh, as their sort of final key to a round. Oh. Um, did you did you notice that happening as well? Yeah, yeah. Well, this entire time you've been talking, I've actually just been rubbing both my nipples, just like salivating. <laughs> this is exactly what I want to be hearing. You, 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 you've touched on the PGL crack of uh, overpass game, which is by like one of my favorite series of all time. Just. That's yeah. what us, my friend Stuchu, who also writes, he would call a canon moment in the narratives of both those teams, a seminal moment mm. for them. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, I, I totally, I find that I, super, super interesting that, um, because I agree in terms of uh, the characterizations of when uh, this Brazilian call looked at its best, you think Cold Zero is the one closing round, you think of um, sort of Fallen being a very dynamic orb that's impactful, you think of them closing out, well, like it depends on what, iteration of the brazilian lineup you want to talk about but definitely maybe with bolts that their ability to close late rounds and to just be clutch was a very clear clear characteristic of how they were able to win and so yeah i agree with you that when we're seeing cold zero of all people god zero closing out these rounds on overpass against astralis can't help but get a bit excited at that but there was overall in this series it wasn't just cold zero closing it was glaive it was device it was Tarek. there was some insane clutches especially in ot to um mm. to to make the game as exciting as it was yeah i'm sure if you're listening to this and you didn't see the matches you will see the 1v4 uh mm. of Tarek somewhere at the top of reddit um, and for those who didn't watch it uh, and wh- for whom we've been keeping in suspense, I'm sure there's a few of you, Australis did manage to win this 22-20 to 20 in double overtime, mm-hmm. thus becoming the ECS Season 6 champion. And undoubtedly the best team of all time. And I will like physically encounter anyone that will say otherwise. That, that's all I'm saying. That's, hey, that's all I'm saying. I'm making... I'm, I'm saying see me at land if you want to say otherwise that's 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 <laughs> that, that's all i'm saying dude like as an analyst we, I, you- I can't defend my ability to play the game 
but I can defend like my affinity for like my love for just this Astralis era we're in because it's, I, not, <laughs> it's not even Astralis per se. It's just like how good they are at the game Counter-Strike Global Offensive. It's in, it's it's in, it's ridiculous to watch. Like if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the best of three, just, just watch all the games and yeah, like it, it, it'll go down as like one of the best series of the year, I think in terms of, if not anything, excitement value and uh, ludicrous clutch multi-kill value um for sure so so if someone thinks that Fnatic is the best team of all time they are looking forward to a quote-unquote physical encounter all i'm saying <laughs> is i've been doing jujitsu for five months now i'm fucking ready i've been tra- i've been training for this i have a danish gi that i wear to all my classes just ready ready if they right. as long as there's no punches thrown and people are willing to abide <laughs> by the ibjj international rule set I'm, I'm ready i'm ready to rock and roll that's all i'm saying so we're looking forward to hell in the cell 2018 <laughs> maxima lit i am sydney 2k19 oh dude I'll, I'll call out anyone as long as long as they're of my weight class and don't have any previous martial arts experience and we can't hit to certain areas and I, like right. i get some form of head start then i'm down <laughs> some form of head start yeah. like a blade yeah. or a machine gun <laughs> or like um like a small uh, midget or something cr- crawls out from under the cage and like hits the other dude in the nuts and then we tag team sort of like hornswoggle in wwe i know maybe that's uh that maybe that's only for a specific subset of viewers like your reference before yeah well look you know that's this this podcast is for a specific subset of people (laughs) in general so (laughs) that's all right the more subset we get the more someone's really really getting off on this pod (laughs) it's definitely it's the goal so takeaways from this uh competition apart from the fact that um you're happy uh we've seen north on the rise we've seen nip slightly on the rise but mibr really are looking much better than they looked in a long time and in the last pod, I was sort of predicting this experiment had run its course somewhat, but obviously I spoke too soon. <clears throat> yeah, well, uh, the, I, I think the the key, the key key thing is the stock value rise of MIBR and the fact Liquid Bomb Data Groups, because the biggest sort of critique in this era of play so far has been on the relative weakness of the top ten. And while Liquid losing might, in a sense, destabilize the elite, it also widens the pool because now. If Liquid's supposedly a second or third best team in the world, now their stock value lowers as the fifth best team in the world, MIBR, becomes better. And so I think in general now you have a very sort of clearly defined top five that can all compete with Astralis, maybe Liquid less so out of all those elite teams, which is crazy to think. But um, Mm. definitely I think overall that this tournament has seen Astralis uh, holding the crown and keeping... Uh, the kingdom firmly in its control, but at the same time, those revolutionaries that sit under him, under Astralis, they've grown in strength and they've grown in number. And I think we'll continue to see Astralis's rule challenged a lot more heading into 19, especially after seeing how close MIBR can play them. Yeah, it doesn't feel firm to me at all. <clears throat> and one of the things that Glaive said in his post-match interview as well was how different MIBR play. And yes. that's what I think has always made them such a fun matchup with the Brazilian cork because you see those rotating dyads and triads of the Brazilians that is so different but so dynamic mm. compared to the more structured and therefore more watertight sort of five-man core of Australis. But it also, it also kind of proves so decisive. You know, once they get mm. a pick, 
once they get space, once they find a mistake they can abuse, they can move and adapt so much quicker than the Australis yes. players, I think. So. I mean, but the, the, the key thing is is that the Australis, the, and that's a very good point because it is true that uh, when you watch MIBR's game, especially in the historical matchups, it does feel so much more fluid and that's where their the power mm. comes as a team because in, in sort of these flow state moments where you have Fur just like floating around the map and his teammates can all perfectly play off the space he creates, it, it, it feels almost sort of spontaneous where you just cram five players with a very high in-game intelligence into a server and sort of all let them run wild in um, relatively structured but not totally locked down um, setups. Whereas Astralis, uh, I think, are far more formulaic in the sense that they're able to, especially around overpass, because you see the way Dupree rotates around um, bathrooms and how device works off of him with an orb. It's very, very clear that it's like, all right, we're here forward and we're going to like hit the first contact point very lightly with the tees. Mm. And then we're going to fall back to the next spot, try to take another uh, very safe battle. And then we're going to play around the utility here, take more safe battles. And then at each of these uh, fallback points, you're either, um, you're at a very low risk of being uh, killed and at a, not a high chance, but you're at a higher chance of then damaging the players, even if it's not in a kill. And so mm. it works so well on overpass because the route from party to site is quite, there's a, a very, there's a fair few angles you have to clear as the tees in order to get there. And so that's when you can really see how Astralis works as a team, and how they structure it, because each of the, it's, it's not the free flowing MIBR sort of, let's just try to find a pick and let's leave fur close at party and all play back to site and then just try to see what happens. It's very much like there's position A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and they flow through all that as if it's like um, a flow chart where they know if they mm. do all, the, if they hit all these beats, there's a very, very high chance they're going to win the round. And mm. hey, which, who's, who's to say which one's better, but I can tell you which one's gotten uh, a team or trophies. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of um, <clears throat> an academic uh, nemesis I had in high school who who was not as... Um, he didn't have the, the facility that I had with uh, English, mm. but he studied a lot harder. And sometimes I would beat him, but for the most part, he would beat me just because he put in that much more work. And his essays and stuff were always a lot more clinical mm. and thorough. <laughs> But when, when I hit my stride, you know, yeah. when I basically got enough sleep, sleep you know, yeah. in high school or, or just didn't stay up the whole night eating gummy bears or whatever, I would I would kind of wipe the floor with him. Yeah. And um, so, I can't help but sort of, you know, when, when Australis came back on the scene in, in, I guess, around March and sort of Magus came, came in and they started firing again, I got really excited because we'd been missing that smart intelligent plan for surprising dominating play mm -hmm. but now i am i have to say on the other hand really excited to see uh, the brazilian trio falling uh, coming back into form because <clears throat> that is such a dynamic counterpunch to the form yes. of the meta i guess that has dominated for the better part of the year and that's and that's the most interesting if people call astralis boring but it's the you don't have to like Astralis. You just have to root against them f to find this one of the most compelling times in history, I think, to watch Counter-Strike because Astralis is so clearly on a level above that it's um it's almost like watching uh, a, a chess game where Astralis is having to adapt, but, but at a far more abstracted level where you see these stylistic choices and these certain roster moves mm. made by teams below them all in an effort to like put different pressures on Astralis because a team like Nip, they can beat Astralis in an occasional best of one, but they don't have the right formula. They don't have the right mix of players and parts and win conditions to consistently beat Astralis or more so consistently beat the second to fifth best teams in the world. 
But someone like MRBR, when you watch that series, you're like, oh, they still lost, but there's there's something there, you know, and that's what that's what gets exciting. That's what makes me get hyped for the next match because it's like, oh yeah, they they were this close, and so who's going to? Because then it's an arms race in between tournaments. It's like who's going to improve and be able to counter mm. the other more effectively for their next matchup? Because now they both have the reference point of that game. Yeah, and, and I think I was discounting Astralis by by comparing them to that guy who used to. Be my <laughs> I don't know. I, for some reason, I don't like him anymore. If if I saw him, I would I, I would do something. You know, this is he might be the guy I fight at IMC 2019, this academic nemesis of yours. He sounds he, like he was fairly he was fairly punchable. I, I oh, believe good. he remains so. Uh, but um, the, no, no, no. That, like, I think they're far more creative than we give them credit yes. for. Or at least I give them credit for, especially some of their eco setups that are just like dazzling to mm. watch that they that that they that they create from scratch that i've never seen before yeah and i think when people say that they're boring people just are talking about the fact that they keep winning that's yes. boring i don't Not think the Australia's way they actually play a boring yes. team exactly yeah. and, if, and if sk had been well, sorry if mibr had been winning the same way they had been winning we'd be bored of mibr too yeah um now why don't we move on there was a little bit of a uh, controversy uh, around this match, surfacing from a tweet uh, from Nico, FaZe Nico, who weren't at this tournament at all, but obviously Nico had a bit of time on his hands and a bit of frustration perhaps. Uh, you probably know what I'm talking about, but just for my viewers, he tweeted about the fact that Zipnix got a pretty good-looking kill through smoke um, on Mirage, and uh, he pretty sort of passively aggressively suggested that Astralis were using some settings with their NVIDIA card that would allow them to see through smokes or see through smokes slightly quicker than people usually would. Um, This was called out by Glaive, I think, uh, at the end of their best of three against Ninjas in Pajamas when Parler asked him to comment on this. And he seemed actually quite angry, said that you're wrong if you think Astralis, with all the hard work and preparation we've put in, would use a bug. And um, I think it was Zip or Glaive, perhaps, who came out on Twitter as well and said, look, this is obviously just using the radar and game sense. Max, what do you think? Have you been abusing this bug yourself on personal uh, MMs? And that's that's why I'm in Master Guardian Elite, just because I have a GPU Mm. that uh, allows me to see through these smokes. There's nothing to do with like my incredible lack of mechanical ability and or willingness Mm. to try to improve it. Just, I, I, I don't know. I think it's one of those things where um, uh, for sure there is something you can do on the video graphics cards that alters um, the appearance of smokes in a way. Like that's, that's pretty well known. And it also happens with the Molotov. And there was, there was I remember a similar drama happening around the black smoke of Molotovs. Mm-hmm. Where uh, when you throw a molly, depending on what uh, video settings you're on paired with certain elements of your GPU settings, you can more easily see over the top of Molotovs uh, with an orb mm. scoped in. And right. uh, I, I remember watching a video about that and there is a difference. And it's one of those classic things where is, how how much does that actually play into the kill? Because visually seeing someone on your screen especially at the level Astralis and MIBR and FaZe and those teams are playing at, the visual element is just the confirmation of a series of intuitive um, senses for where players may be combined with information, combined with your own research on the team. And so I think that maybe there could be a 
element in the GPUs that um, makes Astralis like cert- certain players see different parts of a smoke more clearly. But I think that really? would play like I I wouldn't be surprised, but I think it would be negligible relative to all the other factors that go into finding a kill. And I think that Pete. Uh, yeah, because it, it wouldn't surprise me. So you think Glaive could be being could be lying? Not lying per se, because everyone plays on the same computer, right? At yeah, but can't you adjust the GPU settings once you're on the computer? I don't know. I, I, I that's what I heard. <clears throat> like I heard you I, can tweak them. I mm, because and then then this is where it gets interesting. Is that unfair if everyone's on the same GPU and then you adjust a setting slightly? which can is the same as like uh adjusting the visual settings in game because for sure if you adjust the um sort of visual fidelity of some of the elements in counter-strike you can see things clearer than you can see other things well that's what it's that's what's confusing i guess about nico's tweet it's like if this is actually giving you an advantage why aren't you using yeah exactly so because it's not like they um have some uh wrist watch on that like uh wirelessly hooks into the gpu and makes it slightly better it's it would be as simple as changing a setting that everyone could change and the effect of that change i think would be uh yeah like i don't think if all the fanatic players suddenly started using that they would be the best team in the world um so yeah i don't know what do you think about it especially in terms of the like ethics round if like let's let's, pre- let's pretend there is a very subtle uh low percentage change in the way smokes look if you could alter a setting on a GPU card that everyone had in their computer, is that cheating? Well, if everyone's got it, then it it, it needs to be patched mm-hmm. immediately, right? Like yes. the jump bug at the major. Yep. Uh, and if and if no one's got it, and if only a few people can access it, then obviously it's unethical. But the yes. way Nico was calling it out was that everybody seemingly has knowledge of it but yeah. there's only a few people using it which which is again like that sort of gentleman's agreement type thing that was supposedly reached after big abused the shit out of that jump bug at um, I think it was PGL uh, do you think Nico was just being a bit of a sarity bear yeah for sure 100% mm. okay let's move on to Toyota Master Bangkok 2018 did you get to see any of this um, I nearly went to the event because of its uh, location to Australia but I decided not to go because there was not a lot of teams here that I was excited to see. And I'm low-key scared to travel to, to Thailand. So, um, no, I did not watch Coulda, any games. Coulda, shoulda, I, I watched... Um, wait, wait, wait. Are you actually scared to travel to Thailand? Uh, no, I'm just like... I, I'm... I'm uh, I, I, I went to Vietnam at the start of this year and I nearly went mm-hmm. to uh, Malaysia, but I just... Different uh, countries. Mm-hmm. Different countries, yeah. but same sort of area. Um. Uh, no, I know. I, I, I don't like. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge pessimist, and so I always think of where I'm traveling and how it would be situated in some sort of global crisis before I go. And do you have Do you have some sort of terrorist attack in mind? Oh, maybe what ha- like North, some North Korea action it's just there. Got some China action right there. I don't know. I've an extreme. Are you kidding cons- me right now? <laughs> like, like half kidding. Yeah, <laughs> I okay. know. Half kidding. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> um. Well, this was the first CSGO championship in Thailand, so I'm sure they would have been very happy to have you. Yes. Uh, it was a $100,000 prize pool. The winner got 40 k There were a lot of technical issues. I'm sure if you'd gotten there, you might not have been that happy that you arrived. Right. Um, Renegades, obviously, were the great uh, white Australian hope for us. 
in that particular tournament. Um, I'm not sure who they went down to eventually. Uh, uh, they did get knocked out of, by Heroic, right. Um, the final did come down to a best of five between Heroic and Tyloo that went all five maps. Um, and personally, I made the mistake of opening up the uh, chat at some point during the best of five. I'm not sure if you were no, uh, observing this. Yeah, it was just dick after dick, um, which is a shame for, you know, some guys throwing their hat in the ring. Toyota getting involved in the Asian scene. Um, and weirdly, it was just casted by one dude. Um, some, I think he's a Swedish guy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why they had one Swedish guy casting an entire tournament by himself. By the end of the best of five, he'd been up for like 11 hours. <laughs> That's so unreasonable. Dude, he just needs to get paid out. Like, he needs he needs cash for that. That's insane. An 11-hour day casting. Out of all the out of all the 11-hour casts I want as well, like, Tai Lu Heroic with, like, a triple OT on Overpass. Dude, it was I, brutal. I, yeah, I don't know how... Uh, he, he, was very, he was in very good spirits. Uh, he, should, he should win some sort of honorary royal position yeah, in the Tai family. I'm pretty sure he gets a to- Toyota car after that. He should. He yeah. should get one of the new piano black Toyota cars that were spruiked to us by um, some sort of Thai pop group. <clears throat> um, well, so were any takeaways from this one apart from the fact that you're glad you didn't go? Um, wow, it sounds so uh, blunt. Uh, yeah, no, I think in terms of uh, Toyota specifically, the Renegades, um, Tai Lu things are interesting, just especially because their uh, proximity to um, Australia. I think the Renegades... Uh, lost. They, I did actually watch the first map of the Heroic Renegades game, and I think it was the T side of uh, of Renegades, which has historically always been where I think they've struggled as a team. Um, is is their T sides? I think their CT side game is fine because it's a place that they feel far more comfortable in structuring. But I think they lock they lack a lot of uh, forward firepower on T side, and I, um, in the Inferno game, I watched it against Heroic in the semifinals. That was confirmed to me uh, as much. So, I don't know. I think Toyota was interesting. It's good to have these events running parallel to, um, like, Behemoth, Behemoth, that is uh, something like the ECS finals. I think it's good to have these guys be able to play in the shadow of that. And um, I guess it's good for Heroic, who is this mishmash of uh, Scandinavian components, for them to be able to win um, an event like this in the grand finals over a, over a Tai Lu, who is often... Uh, mischaracterized as being a pushover in series but they can be quite savage in those overtime games mm. you know I was thinking I was talking about l- uh, last episode about um, if, if Carrigan were to perhaps uh, vacate uh, the phase premises and he might be a good replacement and it did strike me watching some of this best of five that Freiburg might actually be a good replacement purely because before you scoff and scorn um, <clears throat> he, he does play quite a supportive role on this mm. team and uh, and I was saying they need a like a, a supportive player, but a seasoned supportive player for sure. And um, that would be a pretty dank timeline. Um, it would be. It would be. If I'm he pretty... gets tired of uh, heroic. I think that I think uh, what you're describing right there is also some form of erotic fan fiction in Sweden. Um... <laughs> 
Yeah, in Sweden and some small pockets of Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> some just very shadowy places. Just <laughs> Speaking of erotic fan fiction, now uh, let's move on from Toyota Master Bangkok uh, and, and sum it up with one sentence. Awesome to see a new player in the scene. I hope this tournament happens again. And also we see some Thai teams perhaps take a final in the future. But uh, what, what has happened recently, actually in the last 24 hours, <clears throat> we've had a bit of romance in the CSGO community of which I was not previously aware of. But Fifth Lauren, uh, he of the Ninjas in Pajamas fame, has got engaged to Smix, Ooh. aka Sue Smith, who we've seen at a lot of premiere CSGO events over the last few years. Were you aware that this romance was bubbling? No, I was not aware at all. Were you aware that they just got engaged? Um, I think I did see that in the uh, foggy morning hours this morning on Twitter, like some notifications as that happened. Um, did you fire off a quick congrats? <laughs> no, no, nah, man. I, I didn't even like. I didn't even do a sympathy like. I think. I think. I think I'm. I think I'm a sympathy. So, I'm sorry to hear you got married. <laughs> things are good. Maybe things that was are the good, wrong choice of words. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I don't know. There was. Uh, I, I. This is. This is the analysis of the space that I sorely lack. <clears throat> okay. Um, well, look. Hit, hit the, here's why I think this is uh, worth mentioning. Yeah. Um, not only because this is the Women's Day of the Counter-Strike podcast community, but also because um, I think as Counter-Strike gets older, we will see a lot more of this sort of thing going on. Uh, Hopefully, the whole scene in and of itself will become a sort of Days of Our Lives uh, type episodic, you know, soap opera. Um, And so, I would like you to tell me your predictions for next romance in the CSGO scene. Jesus. All right. Um, (laughs) This this could get me in some serious trouble. This is... Well, I don't know. Like, first of all, from the outset, should I say, like, I don't really know anyone in the the scene. That's right. Yeah. I've never met Fifth Laren or Smix. No, I know. I don't know. Who who are, like, some... uh, Who are, like, some females in the scene... Uh, Freya, obviously, of um, Freya, of, Sapphire, of Sapphire for sure. Um, I'm pretty sure she's already married. Sapphire, I feel. I feel like she's already. Yeah, well, okay. there could be an extramarital. Yeah, could be an OJ Borg, perhaps. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, OJ Borg is definitely a character in the soap opera, hundred percent. And his name in the soap opera is just like OJ, no Borg, yeah. it's just OJ. And yeah. then he's like this sort of character that surfs a lot and rocks up in like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in like half a wetsuit where he's just like exposed just as like an eight pack and, exactly um, and you know yes. what because he's not at every event too it's like they're just like like, like Fifth Lauren and Smix are just settling into like the first like rhythms of their uh, beautiful relationship yeah. they've just bought a puppy and then OJ turns up out of the past you know like <laughs> looking for a place to stay <laughs> and and the Smix is like he just wants we just need to put him out for a couple of days and Fifth yeah. Lauren's like you, you dated this guy, right? And she's like, yeah, but it was just a thing. It didn't mean anything. Yeah. And then he comes out of the shower with the eight pack. and Yeah. yeah. And then like when it's about to get it on, like he was like, ah, oh, you <laughs> like as if he's hyping up the stadium crowd, you know, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, yeah, you went um, far. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was going to keep this PG, but um <laughs> Hey, you, you, when you start engaging in verbal parkour, we, we, we might leap over a building, we might leap over a, a park bench, but we're, we're leaping. That's good to know. Uh, why don't we move on to um, some little previews? Now, um, you're going to be doing some traveling soon, but before yes. we get to that excitement, let's just talk about Supernova Malta. That's going to be the next tournament coming mm-hmm. up. That's November 29th till December 2nd. That is uh, this year's resort tournament. 
I think last year was um, Mykonos. Would I be able to and, engage uh, in like a small personal anecdote about Supernova, uh, Sup- Supernova Malta? Yeah. Yeah. So um, as you might, so I, I'm going to be traveling to DreamHack Winter, which is on November 30th to December 2nd, and Supernova goes 29th to the 2nd. And DreamHack mm. Winter is um, in the middle of Sweden, in, mm. in Jonkoping, in the middle of winter. Mm. And uh, Supernova Malta is in St. Julian's in, in, in like Malta, which is this mm. beautiful place. And so, but the Supernova event was announced like mid last month or early, like it was announced pretty recently. And so mm. I'd already booked everything to go to Sweden. Uh, and I was talking to another journalist in the scene and he knew I was going to go over to Sweden. And so he said, oh, well... You know, like the uh, Maltese government is going to essentially be paying for some of the press to get over there because they're scared that no one's going to cover the event because it's in St. Julian's. So Amazing. he's like, in theory, you could have been in like the middle of Malta <laughs> being like all expenses paid guaranteed oh in, in like a resort hotel. But instead, I'm going to be in the middle of Sweden in a Swedish winter in Yongkaping, mm. like on my pretty much my own dollar, just chilling, talking to fucking Baba from like existence or whatever, while all these uh, teams are in Malta. So I don't know. There's yeah. A- Here's the thing, though. Like <clears throat> when you're chilling with Baba, yeah. <laughs> that's going to be it's going to be gold because you, you're you going to be hungry, you know? Yes, for sure. And uh, Sweden's awesome, dude. True. Sweden's amazing. Malta, those those resort tournaments, nothing ever really good comes out of them. It's it's just a whole lot of shots of, uh, you know, Flusher by the pool with his shoes off. Yeah, yeah. Or Chris J with his in his sockets having a quick cigarette, trying not to be seen by the yeah. camera. <laughs> I remember that in the Mykonos event. Yeah, um, and there was Sunny um, as well, right? Like, and their coach. Yeah, just the three of them. We'll get back to your woes with DreamHack Winter in a second, sure. but I, I think oh, we should yeah. mention Malta's actually going to be a fun tournament. Yes, big 100%. Gambit, Hellraisers, Kingwin, Tylu, NRG, Liquid, and of course, Virtus Pro. Now, Kingwin died in the arse at Summit 3, so I don't have much faith in those guys going... They, they were looking a bit um, juicier earlier in the year, but they seem to have fallen off. Gambit obviously have their new roster. I think this will be their first big LAN appearance with um, mm-hmm. the two new pickups. And uh, Liquid, obviously, are the favorites to take this out. And Hellraisers with Helbert. That's the other big thing as well. Of course. Yes, and we've done this, the transfer from from uh, from Gambit with Hobbit. Uh, Virtus Pro to win this one, though, obviously, <laughs> hands down. New, new, new logo, new VP. <laughs> um, I know this is going to be an interesting event. You obviously have Tyloo directly coming off the back of the... Um, Toyota Masters event, you have NRG coming off of ECS, you've got Liquid coming off of ECS as well, so there's definitely some players here, and I think uh, I think Hellraiser is going to low-key do some damage here. I would not be surprised mm. if a depleted NRG or a depleted Liquid or a depleted Tai Lu fall victim to a Hobbit Hellraiser because people sleep, people sleep on how good Hobbit is, and he was in a um, some form of transcendental state at the end of his time with Gambit, where I believe the phrase is, um, fuck it, I have nothing to lose, <laughs> like came mm. out of his mouth in Kazakhstani at some point, whatever Russian dialect they speak. And uh, yeah, they, like Hobbit was the guy that essentially beat Na'Vi in two best of threes. Like it was pretty much him that won them those uh, series. And he's mm. a savage. He's so good at this game. And I think Hellraiser is the team that needs that energy. Like Hobbit is a very, very emotional, vocal player, as is Bondic. 
but I think Hobbit's on a different level individually and mechanically. And I think um, I, I was so excited for this move when I saw it because I, I think this will be a turning point in Hobbit's career in the sense of uh, is he the player that will be defined by his success as a rookie under the leadership of Zeus? Or is that mm. just the starting point of what is a career that is essentially like this flourishing of an elite international entity to come out of Kazakhstan in sort of the same way Adren uh, became? So I'm, I'm very excited for Hellraiser specifically at this event. Obviously, you want to see Liquid ideally take it out, especially given uh, their performances in... Um, at, at, where, where was the ECS finals held? At uh, Arlington, Arlington or something um, in mm. America? Uh, and they would probably, I would say, have the lesser evil of the two groups as well, just looking at it for the first time with only NRG in their group, which would suggest that they're probably going to make it out, if not in second place. I can't lie. There was a, there was a bit of moisture on this side too when the uh, transfer to Hellraiser's uh, vis-a-vis Hobbit was announced. But I, but I think actually Big are going to end up in the grand final somehow. True. They've had a bit of a break. And once Big has a bit of a break, you know, they always come back with some... Uh, Gobfather strats. It's a dangerous um, group, though. Dangerous group to be in. You've got Hellraiser, it is a dangerous group. All of those motherfuckers. They will like, yeah. They're very dangerous. Best of ones to play and best of threes to play as well. I think I would not be. I, I agree with you in the sense that if like I, I don't mind the matchup of Big and NRG. I think that's always an exciting series. I don't even mind the matchup of Big and Liquid, but it's sort of when Big plays against these incredibly scrappy. Uh, lower tiered explosive sides that I think that they can um, be shown up a little bit and we have three of those sort of characteristically explosive sides in their group so alright well let's move on to something to, to more colder climbs uh, Yonki Ping that's where you're headed yes it is you're, you're excited but slightly less so now <laughs> uh, no I'm excited <laughs> I'm very excited this is the first event I've ever gone overseas for esports I'm, I'm, I'm bubbling that's so, very exciting. I yes. remember the first time a company paid for me to go to a, a, a work gig and uh, it just makes it all the more sweeter. Well, it's, uh, I, I, I wish it was as easy as like a company paying for me to go because I booked everything mm-hmm. myself, um, mm-hmm. like accommodation, flats, all that. And then mm-hmm. the, pretty much the last two months has been a process of trying to get outlets to um, pay for elements of the travel or at least... Um, willing to give me the accreditation to go to the event itself because I Mm -hmm. had to book everything before I could even get accreditation to go into the event which Mm -hmm. is uh, sort of building the plane as it goes in a way so I know like you put your money where your mouth is you'd hope so hopefully it works out uh, in terms of let that be a lesson for all you lazy listeners of this podcast who think why doesn't someone give me a break here's a young man putting his money where his mouth is and uh, making his own luck. And have you, do you think you will break even or cover your costs uh, with the coverage? Well, so no one's agreed to pay for the travel, like in terms of uh, the accommodation itself. But there's uh, HLTV have, because I was because I booked everything myself and super, uh, the Maltese event is going on at the same time, they're going to be putting, uh, I think, Striker or something, or like it's one of their reporters in Malta to cover the event. And so they're going to have no one at DreamHack Winter. And then because I was essentially looking for press accreditation, had already bought all the travel and I'm just going to be there, um, they are willing to pay for some articles there. And so the payment of that article mixed with the, uh, of the articles for HLTV mixed in with anything I can write and sort of freelance to the side, that should pretty easily cover the cost of accommodation flights from London to Stockholm. And then I'm also going to the uh, EPL finals in Denmark immediately afterwards. Mm. I'm going to be riding with ESPN there. And so that should 
I, I should in theory get to par, but not necessarily by virtue of people paying for the travel as mm. much as using the money I get from the articles I make to pay for the travel. Banging. This is how career happens, guys. Listen to it. Uh, so one of the most interesting things about winter is that we've got some teams that we don't usually see. We have Existence, Galaxy, Ents, G2, mm-hmm. Heroic, LDLC, Optic, Complexity, Bravado. Now, uh, I was fairly ignorant uh, as to who the hell Existence Galaxy were. Yes. Just to give a little update for my listeners, they're basically a Spanish organization. They've been around since September 3rd this year in this iteration but actually the august been around since 2004 they overextended in 2012 went a bit crazy into a bunch of different games basically sort of went bankrupt around 2013 bumped along in csgo for a while and now are back with a fully swedish team uh you might have seen them on the top of reddit recently because a guy called nook n-a-w-w-w-k-k had a big game earlier this week he went 35 or 3 i think in a game against uh, 3d max uh, those achievements notwithstanding, they're rank 50. Do you know much about these guys? Um, I know the name Barba, obviously from um, like purely sort of a fo- like it was a fo- like a phonetic standpoint, just a fun name to say. And also mm. because he was, um, I believe, the support player of the Epsilon lineup that featured Draken, uh, Rez, Disco Doplan, and someone else. Um, Barba. Baba, yeah, <laughs> such a fun name to say. Just uh, did you read the Baba books when you were a kid? Oh yes, I was. I, you, you stole the reference off the tip of my tongue right there. It's a uh, mm. he, he he has the wool. That's all I'm saying. Um, and yeah, I don't know much about them specifically. It's always exciting to see Swedish talent coming out. Obviously, they also have RDL as the coach of this team, which was uh, the coach of Godsent for quite a while, and he was uh, the sort of the Pronax iteration of Godsent. And so mm. he's been knocking around for a fair bit as well. I believe he actually played CS earlier. I can't remember for what team. So like he, he, he's played with a lot of Swedish talent and he's guided a lot of Swedish talent. And I think he's also a 1.6 player as well. Um, so exciting to see him on existence, especially coaching some of these players which are more unknown, um, but are clearly mm. talented. So to see Barba and RDL together, Riddle and Barba. It'd be nice to see existence on existence at some point. It would. That's, uh, that's the crossover. One of the other teams is Bravado. They're South African. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't even know South African uh, teams played Counter-Strike, but uh, these guys are actually 48. They're ranked uh, too higher than Existence Galaxy, and they beat Rogue and Luminosity in best of threes at the DreamHack Winter Qualifier. So they, uh, they have some sort of skill. Do you know much about those yes. guys? So uh south african cs is really interesting actually because there's only really two teams there's been bravado and energy esports and uh uh bravado infamously like moved to north america uh i think pretty recently uh in the same sort of fashion that renegades moved from australia to pursue uh like sort of living there with um in the like esea premier and epl but the best player in south africa was always a guy called black poison and before I don't know the exact timeline. I'm sure everything I say is going to be disputed by someone with a South African accent. But I'm pretty sure that like Black Poison left over some dispute and went to the rival side in South Africa. And so this rival side in South Africa, in theory, had the best player in the region. But Bravado have continued on without him and have found a lot of success in NA through a pretty structured approach. I think Sonic is their best player by a fair bit. And they have, um, because of the time they're able to spend together, because they've been a, like this team has been together for a very long time. This bravado lineup, like the Black Poison move, happened ages ago, um, and so like as in at the start of last year. And so this 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 five man lineup has actually been together for quite a while, and they have a very very good um, structured approach. I was talking to Maui Snake, 
who is the guy that covers a lot of MDL, MDL games in North America and asked him what he thought about Bravado and he complimented their flash work and their team play and he says the biggest problem they have is not necessarily a lack of structure but the fact that there's no one really to back up Sonic in the fragging department and that if they're mm. ever going to have a problem it's going to be in terms of the ability to find impact with their individuals and then when he says that and then you look at sort of the, the shark pool of tier 2 talent that is at Dreamhack Winter I don't think, I don't think, think things are going to bode too well for Bravado on land, but it's just good that you see them qualifying through an NA all as is, because I believe they won ESCA Premier um, the last season of it. So they're on the rise. It's always sick to just see a regional team back themselves and just fly to NA and just start playing and be really good. Um, mm. it, makes, it makes my heart warm when I see that. Mm. Uh, one of the things that's going to make my heart warm is, is this is the possibility of a matchup between G2 and LDLC. Mm. Uh, obviously, we have the two new players on LDL on, on G two, sorry, uh, straight out of three D Max, uh, and the departure of Existence and Smiths back to the uh, French Void. So, what is happening with the G two lineup? Uh, I've been confused. So, is okay. Lucky and Jax are now have replaced. Um, gotcha. Existence oh yes, from three D Max. Yes, gotcha. Oh yeah, and then one of them is like a hybrid <laughs> player, and yeah, yeah, I, re- I remember now. I remember. Gotcha. And of course, LDLC have been looking a lot sharper. Yes, in recent tournaments. That'll be fun. Um, why don't we move on to Odense, which is uh, a tournament you will be um, mm-hmm. attending as well. And just before we do, <clears throat> I, I must say to all my listeners who are on the Twitter um, machine, we need to support Max now. Now that we've heard that he's struggling from his own pocket, he's, uh, he's going to be eating bread and milk. We need to retweet every article and uh, basically every tweet that he puts out so he doesn't starve in the uh, yeah. freezing wintry uh, climbs of Odense. This is a 16-team tournament, all the usual suspects, bar phase, who've been taking a bit of a break, it looks like. Um, but obviously, they didn't qualify for this one, which is a surprise, I guess. Um, teams we don't usually see in this are Ince, Order, Sharks, and Vici or Vici. Vici Ince yeah. is, of course, the return of KNG and Phelps. Uh, Sharks are another Brazilian team. They're ranked 73. Vichy is a Chinese team. They're 56. And Order now have Zef after losing Liaz. What dirt do you have on these underdogs? Uh, Well, the Order one's interesting. Uh, Mm. I've been actually covering a lot of Australian CS recently. So I actually feel relatively comfortable talking about Order. So uh, they're a team that's, in general, Australian CS has gone through what would be a shuffle period where because Renegades have taken Gratisfaction and Liaz, who were on Greyhound and Order respectively, with Gratisfaction probably being at points oh best my goodness. player in, 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 in Australia. Sorry. <clears throat> Clover Moore's just walking past my window. Who's that? Uh, she's the mayor of Sydney. She's the oh. Lord Mayor of Sydney. <laughs> she's just she's... hobbling out by herself with yeah. a handbag. I was just waiting <laughs> in for you. In the middle like, of a Monday. Just as uh, your political views come out, you just start throwing <laughs> like epithets out the window. Just <laughs> Clover, send the refugees out. <laughs> we're full like just jesus dude like this recorded um no yeah. no, no it's all left wing on this uh, podcast yeah, moderate left wing moderate left wing <coughs> um, sorry continue sorry for the interruption <laughs> that's all right um i would interrupt it as well if i saw the lord mayor like except i would like you would stop me you would just hear a lot of like grunts as i try to like physically assault him um no i'm, oh. not, I'm not a political person at all do not show, like, mm-hmm. i do not know anything i just watch cs um, she's she's a, she's a dude. She's like a fifty-five-year-old lesbian who true. puts the arts first. So I'm down with her. <laughs> I'm all I'm all about uh, this Lord Mayor. Um, mm. But in terms of Australian CS, so the move of these two players, because Liaz 
was an integral part of order who's one of the best teams because in australia there's four top teams and so these four top teams are tainted minds chiefs order and greyhound and so these two uh top teams lost two of their best players to renegades and so that sort of forced the ecosystem of australian cs to produce um talent and to produce replacements uh, for these two and then at the same time as that got, has gone on there's been a shuffle between tainted minds and chiefs and there's been ustillo who's come back from renegades into domestic play so he's had to replace someone and in general there's been a lot of changes amongst all these four teams and so even in spite of uh greyhound previously being the best team in australia the team chiefs has actually won this like many many lands in a row in australia and sort of the de facto best team in the region and uh order lost to um chiefs uh at the esl anz finals and greyhound lost to chiefs at the esl anz finals as well and except order managed to beat greyhound in two best online best of threes to qualify for the epl finals and recently greyhound has been winning a lot of best of threes online as well so there's a lot of chaos in the scene and even though order (sighs) is the uh, representative of the region here they might not necessarily be the best team there they've Mm. sort of struggled on land recently zef has been a sore point for them he's come up uh, he's very, very young and uh, relatively inexperienced to just elite Australian play, let alone the tournament, the scale of Odense. Uh, they have Elmer Party, who produces a lot of YouTube videos uh, at a very analytical level, and he's behind them as a coach. And from what I've heard, he helps a lot um, with EMAG, with the calling. But um, it, Yeah, it, 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 when I saw Party, I thought, oh, this is wonderful. But part of me has got to wonder, you know, does the PUD's loyalties lie with YouTube or with his team? He's, I, still, he's still pumping out content, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think he's just a very efficient guy, and I think he's just pretty okay. on point, to be honest. I, I did an interview with him at the event, and he seems to operate at a very calculated level. So I would say that uh, both of his obligations are being fulfilled at a pretty, pretty high level. What a guy. Yeah. I wonder if his family's neglected. <laughs> what about He's his like, love yeah. life like let's just start analyzing just- <laughs> I'm doing fine with, with Counter-Strike and YouTube and his wife's like I haven't seen him in months <laughs> it's never home it's just yeah <laughs> I, I, there was an interview I think with Texter or Dexter I got it wrong when I reported on it last time but he was doing a bit of a poop from a great height on um, Zeph's head yeah. I think in in the fact that he was a bit young and inexperienced yes do you think we just need to give this guy a bit of time do you think the potential's there <sighs> um well I mean Within the context of VPL finals, I think orders are just going to get clapped out of whatever, like other groups. Now, mm-hmm. no, I, I would be very surprised if order did anything at the EPL, not because they're a bad team relative to Australia, but just because they're a very fresh team relative to um, the global scale. And we've seen them fail to achieve much of anything this year. I believe they're at IM Catafits 2018. They got bombed out there. Um, I, I don't think that this is going to be some triumphant Australian showcase in Denmark. Um, I think Zef is going to continue to be... But, like, it's very important that these players are exposed to international CS and... Because uh, it's it's not about... And for all these teams, for Ince, uh, Vici, Sharks, Order, all these teams coming from regional... Like, it, it's not about the actual official games at all. And that's uh, an easy thing to forget. Uh, because when you're over there, you boot camp a lot. And you... Um, it's the boot camping side of things that, and you and the scrims outside of the official matches. That's way sort of more long, has a longer lasting impact because you might only play two official matches. Because if you lose, you know, a best of one and a best of three, you're out of the tournament. But you might be able to get a play. You might be able to get to play Astralis, Navi, Mouseports, NRG, Ints, Renegades, 
over the course of like eight scrims. And so that's way mm. more uh, server time than you might otherwise think. Yeah, I remember, um, who was it? Someone from Order. <clears throat> oh no, someone from Greyhound. No, someone from Order. I think it was um, Hats, perhaps, who was talking about uh, beating Faze in a scrim yes. at the last time they were at Katowice and then sort of just being creamed by them on LAN. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying, but um, unless you're doing it regularly, uh, I suspect it has limits to mm. the the usefulness. Well, I, mean, it's, it, I think I don't, it, I, I, I don't know if it's necessarily about what you actually learn in game about yourself. Is as and this is from talking to Sterling, who's currently the author of Greyhound, who replaced um, Gratisfaction. And uh, he was, at the time I talked to him, the number of Chiefs, except he got kicked from Chiefs because people thought he was too passive, joined a lower level team, Legacy, then got brought back up to Greyhound. And uh, he, when he was with Chiefs, scrimmed a lot of teams at IM Sydney. And he's a sort of very cerebral, despite what people think. And he's a very good uh, sort of analytical mind of how to orb. And he said the biggest thing from boot camping, someone like Guardian and having moderate success against Guardian is just the confidence you bring back to your own region. Because it's like, dude, I can match up individually mm. with these players and so it's more the mindset shift where it's like all right well individually we can actually play against these guys it's just we just don't have the structure to do it mm. and that's a very very different problem than just against a gargantuan opponent who you think you have no chance against because at the very mm. least you're like i can win some duels it's just how are we going to then transfer those duels into a round yeah yeah well said <clears throat> i'm glad there's a sterling on the scene because now i can talk about this sport and continually refer to someone called Sterlo, which uh, never having been into football, and if you're not Australian, you won't get my reference, but it's, uh, it does warm the cockles of my heart. Uh, any last takeaways or previews for before we move on to some um, deeper life stuff? Uh, I'm very excited to see Astralis in Denmark, in Odense. I think that's going to be very hype, especially because this would be, I think, the crowning... Like, I think they're already undisputed, but I think it'd be... Uh, what, what, what a way to end the year would be for Astralis to win the EPL finals in Denmark. So I would be excited for the uh, prospect of that. But also just having a bunch They'd of... They'd win a million bucks, wouldn't they? Uh, yeah, the Intel Grand Slam as well. That's literally like mm. the um, like the dunk from uh, Space Jam, but as if done like on a Counter-Strike stage. You like literally win the Intel Grand Slam in front of your home country for like the fifth premiere event in the row. You know, it's just all these different things going their way. Uh, well, that's that's it. That's that's all for our um, CSGO content and previews. Now, um, one thing I did want to mention before you jet off um, and become the uh, jet-setting journalist that um, surely lies in your ongoing destiny. Where, how did you get into Counter-Strike? Because mm. you, you, when, when we met at IEM Sydney, you told me you, you'd done a journalist degree or you were doing journalism at um, was it University yes. of Queensland? Uh, the Queensland University of Technology, QUT. Are you all done with that? Uh, I, fin- I graduate next year, so I'm in my second year right now. It's a three-year course. Right. <clears throat> Doesn't sound like you need to finish. You sound like you're, <laughs> you're already firing on the well, cylinders you need to be. That's such an interesting thing to talk about because to me, I don't really associate... Um, yeah, and, and, and this might be where like people yell at me online for a variety of things or people think I might be hunting for sympathy or something, but it's not. Um, I think uh, like what I'm doing in Sweden and Denmark and what I've done and, I, and what esports journalists in general do is um, very different than what uh, journalism at my university is like and from the experience I've had working sort of around quote-unquote actual journalists um, because it's... I, I, I see it helps me in the sense of being able to approach people for interviews and talking to people um, in an interview setting. 
But I think in terms of the actual writing of articles and uh, writing of news, uh, it's, a, it's, 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 it's pretty different uh, in traditional journalism. And so I separate very much so the work I do at uni um, for journalism and the work I do in esports. Because to me, esports is this uh, thing that um, probably isn't going to be a full-time job uh, for the foreseeable future, just because uh, in terms of content, being a journalist, uh, there's a pretty hard cap to how much money you can make freelance. And um, there's far more money to be made in things like on-camera talent and owning a website or being an editor or being more sort of full-time adult level job stuff. Uh, which, <laughs> but it's true though, because freelancing is it's it's very weird. Um, but yeah, I, I separate that very much from traditional journalism and what I do at like an internship at a local radio station, or um, in the sense of having to write a news story about like local politics, or having to interview a PhD um, graduate from my university because she recently published like a new paper on something. Uh, even though mm. there might be a sort of osmosis of skills between those two things, there's not necess- they're not very um, blended together in my head. They might be one day, they might be one day, but right now they're, they're two very separate things. Well, I think a lot of what we're currently consuming, or at least um, what we were consuming, seems to have been uh, breached or about to be broached by um, uh, artificial intelligence. Yes. I know there's programs in... Uh, in the states and the UK, that are writing reports yes. regularly on football matches that are indistinguishable from humans writing them, and mm-hmm. I think some of the HLTV match reports often read like they're basically yes. written by a computer. I'm not sure if that's even the case. It could be, um, and so it's 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 really just at this point with a lot of the reportage around esports that seems to be the value comes from an opinion mm-hmm. or direct words from an interview. Yes, and the, that's that's the key thing. Uh, and it's funny, it's funny, like I had to do a report for uni about uh, like the job market because it's almost sadistic in the way they make you look at uh, the future of journalism as a part of the journalism course because it's very mm-hmm. much just like welcome to the jungle, motherfucker. Like if you, if you want to get a job in this field, welcome. Like this is this is yeah. the field you're entering into. And uh, the biggest uh, sort of categories of artificial intelligence is that they're going to replace linear, non-abstract tasks, and mm-hmm. so. And, and sometimes linear abstract tasks. But in general, the biggest boon in um, jobs, especially within journalism, isn't necessarily in writing news reports because anyone because a news report's so formulaic. It's, um, you know, there's, there's a certain number of words you want as an ideal lead. There's a very clear structure you have to follow to write it. And in theory, if you had an artificial intelligence, you just plug in the who, when, when, where, what, why into this algorithm, it should be able to then, and like some elements of context, it should be able to have enough data to then reconstruct an effective news report. That's very, very mm. different than constructing uh, like a first person account or some sort of enterprise article on um, why uh, this man like fishes for abalone for his starving wife or I don't know, some like, mm. like the, the, the human element is where I think it's going to um, be like, like people will be pressed more. And you'd be very surprised that uh, the nature of the characters in my journalism course, uh, it's sort of changed as I've moved through the degree and more people have dropped uh, out. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's a very, very interesting mix of people where 
Um, some people that more there for the PR side of things and the marketing side of things, and they're sort of using journalism in the same way a Nazi spy might try to steal nuclear research from like the Manhattan Project. And uh, they're sort of trying to get an inside look at what's happening with journalism. And then there's other people there who are like international students trying to stop the corruption of the media in like Hong Kong or something like that. So um, it's a really, really strange mix of uh, motivations for doing it. And I'm not too sure what mine are. Incredible. I was just in Hong Kong talking about government surveillance with, with, with people over there. And you'd say there are people like citizens who are doing this course uh, in an attempt to learn how to combat the encroachment of China or um, mainland media in Hong Kong. This is uh, this is just from the um, a, a chat I had with an international student from Hong Kong. I don't know if there's necessarily like a secret coup being formed in the halls of universities around uh, Australia, but I definitely know right. there is a lady. But he's at, just a private citizen. He's not he's not working for a corporation. I or oh, a government. She, uh, it's a girl. I, I I don't know. I never talked to her she, deeply enough, but um, she. I, I would assume she's just an international student from Hong Kong studying journalism. Um, maybe there is right. a subversive. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know enough details. And 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 you think and there's also people who are coming at it from the marketing side who want to know what's happening in journalism. Yeah, and also because in a lot of newsrooms there's a distinct uh, divergence because um, it's there's there's two ways you make money in a newsroom through either circulation or through advertising. And so circulation mm-hmm. is the sale of, if you are the New York Times, it'd be the, like the sale of a subscription to the New York Times, whereas advertising would be the passive um, like advertisements in the actual magazine itself. And sure. um, for the longest time, uh, the way newspapers primarily made money was through advertising because the biggest uh, positive a newspaper had was the fact that they were essentially guaranteed a very, very large mass passive audience in the sense that everyone just buys a newspaper in the morning. Except what's happening now is because the internet has frightened certain things like the global financial crisis and the ability of how people consume news and a bunch of, uh, like there's, there's no one thing, but essentially what's happened now is that, um, the, uh, that, that, that mass market of news consumers is now very fragmented and it's very, very split up. And so it's very hard as a newspaper to be able to sell your audience to the advertisers. So instead, mm. the primary way, so in general, people are making less money, but it's also the way they make money has shifted as well, where it's way more about circulation. And so mm-hmm. um, you either sort of, uh, if, if, if people are on the PR side of things, the reason why they do journalism is that they're looking for the advertising stream of the revenue, where it's, um, right. and, and that's where something like clickbait comes in and where something like, the, like a, a local tabloid, they don't make their money from selling the circulation. They just want people to click on the article so they can get, um, they, they want people to click on free articles so they can get the mass viewership of the advertisement. Yep. Whereas circulation would focus on, for example, the New York Times putting up a paywall on a bunch of their content and being like, all right, look, we're not going to put much advertisement on this, but we're going to take the resources that we'd get from that and put it into, say, paying someone like $1,000 to write an in-depth story that they can't get anywhere else. So you have to, if you want this unique, niche, important story, you're going to have to pay us for it. And so that's where um, it's like interesting and there's a lot of fuzziness around which way the trend's going. But in general, it seems that it's trending towards circulation. And so Mm. I think a lot of the PR people that do journalism are sort of trying to, they they obviously have an interest in how things work because uh, PR people have to work very closely with journalists in the sense of pushing out press releases, um, trying to control as best they can the way news about certain companies is released through the press. 
Um, so I think there's a great benefit for them studying the course, but it's also that interesting divergence between circulation and advertising, which I think uh, a lot of them do. Yeah, I have this sort of ongoing argument with my flatmate who believes I should be looking at more news and reading more news, but I have been quite cognizant of the news for my 20s and in the last few years I've just, uh, you know, like you said earlier when we are talking about Cloud9, there's only so much you can fit onto your wavelength. Yeah, yeah. And I did hear recently there's a company in, uh, I think it is Denmark actually, uh, that is that has been formed by a previously high-ranking editor or journalist who are concentrating on just news stories about long-term trends. Yes. So if we think about news traditionally as being like something that is remarking on, you know, uh, very short-term events, a, a baby's kidnapped or, yes. um, you know, uh, uh, Cloud Nine wins the major or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this these guys are just investing on in, in in and I think it's on a subscription basis too, or a sort of Patreon esque basis. Just just reporting on what is happening over the long term. So how many babies were kidnapped in two thousand and eighteen compared to two thousand and ten, and what's been happening in that last eight years in terms of the babies that have been kidnapped. Uh, which sounds like a site I would actually be interested in watching rather than getting outraged about the fact that the baby was kidnapped last <laughs> yes, week. Yes, true, 100%. And the, and the interesting part with that model of uh, analyzing the long-term trend of babies being kidnapped um, is so in theory that promotes quality journalism, the paywall, because uh, there's been a bunch of studies done about it and um, like, like r- r- good research about how people look at paywalls and how it affects journalism. And in general, uh, the content behind paywalls, people only pay for it if um, they perceive it as um, being unique, niche, high quality content, which makes sense because the market isn't going to pay for something that they don't perceive as otherwise, especially in the context of news. Mm -hmm. So a report of that like specific niche of like babies being kidnapped and then it takes research and it takes someone working like full time on a story to produce something like that. People are willing willing to pay for. And um, the journalist who writes that story, they want to give something of value to the people paying for it because they're part of the transaction as well. And um, so I think in general, it's a good thing that there's paywalls. But at the same time, if... uh, what if I had a baby and I'm scared of it being kidnapped, but I can't afford a paywall or I can't see the benefit in paying for it? Well, then you sort of um, split the people who um, have the means to and are willing to pay for um, this content, which could potentially be of a very informative... Because if, they, if, if they're willing to pay for the content, it generally means it's good and it has something of value. But then that also means that you're like preventing some people from accessing that information by putting mm-hmm. a paywall on it and like isn't the purpose of journalism to inform the public and to be the fourth estate that everyone can have access to i don't know the purpose of journalism it's a good question yeah, yeah. uh there is a guy called mark little in scotland who used to be a i don't know if you're aware of him before before your time but he was an anchor on some news programs and he's building his own app that uh curates that uses ai to curate basically like news that not only um has enough confirmation bias to make you want to read it but it also challenges you in a way that it's identified from yeah you know a lot of your internet habits gotcha and so and his in his mode is or his goal is to get you to uh, engage with news in a way that we used to where we would have one paper that we'd read front to back and we'd sort of we could put it down at the end of a day and mm-hmm. go like that's 
I'm, I'm up to date. I'm informed. I feel like I know what's going on as opposed to now. I don't know if you have this, but you might read an article on the New York Times and then read an article, you know, somewhere else and yes. just go, I have no idea <laughs> if what, like what slice of the picture I've gotten at yeah. this point. Yeah, you know? for sure. And it's quite confusing, which is why, and I'm not, I'm sure I'm not alone. I just, I just don't engage at all almost anymore. Well, you've got to choose what you engage in. I think that's the key thing. Mm. Because, yeah, I know, like, for example, I would read HLTV every day and I might read The Economist, like, whenever I have my three free articles. And there's a few places I go to that don't, I don't know, like, that's the best part about it being fragmented is that I think um, the market of news consumers. And I think the reason why in general it'll trend towards higher quality journalism that you have to pay for rather than the opposite, like free journalism, that shit that has uh, like high advertising upside is that the market has like a very high articulation of choice in terms of what they can consume, what they can't. And I think in general things, uh, especially with Patreon being a thing and apps that people can get behind that seem relatively independent of... Uh, like the Rupert Murdochs of the world, you know, just these sort of uh, like very like antagonizing figures in like a space like media. Um, mm. I, I, I think in general things trend towards the better, the better stuff because people can choose and punish the bad content more and reward the good content more when there's more, there's a higher articulation of choice and what they can consume. I don't know. Yeah, but the, 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 the danger does lie in the fact that algorithms now can know us better than we know ourselves right yes. and and what we think of as personal choice actually sometimes isn't which is why mm. if we're, we're going to be guided by algorithms which we already are without knowing it a lot of the time we need someone who's who's building algorithms with our best interests in heart right at at, at at the at the heart of what they're trying yes. to do as opposed to just like if you work for buzzfeed trying to get us to click on three articles and doesn't really matter how long we spend on them or, or whether it makes our lives better or whether it informs us or gives a us a different opinion uh so to me to me the big battle is going to be between algorithms as opposed to paying or not paying yeah it's a really interesting point i definitely can 100 percent see that because the analytics on some of these articles is insane it like some of yeah it's when you look under the hood of some of these like seo programs and stuff it's like, as in, they know exactly where people click off the article, the average time spent on each, like, paragraph of the article, um, where people are most interested, where, like, hot heat maps of where people are interested and when they're not. It's, um, like, there's a very, very careful science to how some of those um, search engine optimization, like, those, some of the algorithm side of things work. Mm. There's a there's an ABC journalist right now who's doing an experiment where he's um, combing through all the data that his phone has put out. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you follow him. He's on Twitter. I will link it into the show notes. But he's doing a really interesting experiment where he uh, he put on his phone, you know, just did what he did usually did for a week, but he logged every single request it made uh, that every single app made. And he's been using the, a community of people who've reached out to help him work out exactly which communication was from what and where yeah. it was to. That's crazy. And at the end of this month, he's going to sort of publish basically. Yeah. I, I did a, I did a similar his report. Phone. I did a similar oh, you did? report. Yeah. Where um, for about six months, I exclusively liked um, flat earth and Christian pages on Facebook and actively commented in a bunch of closed groups about the earth being flat. And then because I wanted to see how that would influence the Google analytics on me, because obviously mm. like Facebook things are. And then within, within 
days and like like and it pursued throughout the months i did this all of my ads were around like christian counseling and all mm-hmm. of the ads i saw online changed based on like my increased like talking of flat earth naturally so i would talk to people about it like in the phones listening and then also mm-hmm. of my facebook and social media use as well so i don't know right. Ma- maybe his is more righteous but <laughs> well yeah, I made a mind as a podcast called Reply All. I don't know if you've heard of it. If you guys don't know it, check it out. It's, it's good. They did a very good uh, episode about um, whether f- uh, Facebook is listening to our conversations via phones and microphones. And I thought they were because I've had a few uh, yeah, Skypes where I've talked about things that have later ended up in my advertising. But these guys make a pretty good case for the fact that they're not listening to our microphones, but they have enough data on our internet usage our position in the world and all that kind of stuff that it seems like they are yeah because i I remember hearing something similar where it's people think that when they say you're listening to something it's like literally some dude with like earphones on listening to what you're saying (laughs) but it's just these keywords of um what you're talking about that that's that's being taken out and these keywords are then compiled anonymously with you know millions and millions and millions of other keywords and then geographically, they're all placed into, you know, some like uh, gargantuan supercomputer, I imagine, that exists in a bunker guarded by men in black suits. And um, then it's like those keywords that are taken and then like sort of anonymously processed through well, uh, well, machine. Well, that, that, uh, that's what I thought it was. And, and mm. I didn't think it was keywords because the, the speech recognition and meaning of sentences is already so good that they wouldn't need to just be taking out keywords. But... Mm. I don't think it's even that. I think that they've got enough markers that they don't need to do that. They already know how we're feeling and what we're thinking uh, without needing to listen to our conversations. True. Um, that was the takeaway from this episode. Anyway. I think that's very reasonable convincing. to say as well. Mm. Um, uh, well one, of the, one of the things about um, the knowing yourself, you know, better than the apps know you, which I think um, Yuval Harari's talked about a lot. If you guys don't know him as well, he's the author of Sapiens. He's been on a few podcasts recently, but... He's, he, he stresses the idea about knowing us. Like it's, we have an imperative now to know ourselves. Like your, your parents, yes. if you're my age, could kind of get along without really knowing who they were and what they wanted and not really taking that much ownership for what they wanted. Because if they saw like an ad for like uh, Tied, you know, um, soap, it doesn't really make a difference to their lives if they buy Tide soap over, uh, you know, Omo, right? Yeah. But now, because that, because that advertising went out to basically everybody, but now... The algorithms have so much data on us, they can know us so well, they can exploit all these sort of irrationalities as, as human beings that we don't like to admit that we have and actually do things that are, make us do things that are against our interests, yes. for instance, like changing elections, right? So we now have like a moral imperative to know ourselves better than the algorithms, which means that all you dudes who are listening to this podcast right now, who are like 18, and you and or you're like you're 25 or like me you're like 34 and you tell your dad about your therapist and he's like oh in my my day I didn't need a therapist well of course he didn't but if you don't have one now or you don't have some form of triangulation so you can actually talk and think about why you make the decisions you make that could just be best friends it could be a really understanding spouse it needs to be some sort of network mm. then you are seriously behind the eight ball with the way the world works right now. All I know is after this conversation, I just feel an urge to join the army. I don't know what it is. Like, I just, I just really want to defend my nation. It's super strange. It happens every time we just start talking about analytics. I, um, yeah, I, you know what, I, you know, what I hope I'm going to get after this is some really cheap, 
like tickets advertised in Malta. <laughs> yeah, <I do>. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. In my inbox. yeah, it's like suddenly I just really want to vote for the populist candidate in Malta. I don't know what it is. It's just, it's just, <laughs> he just keeps talking about like building like a large dock to keep out immigrants. So I just want to, I just want to like join. I, I want to vote for some reason. We so should, so. you know what, between now and that tournament we should work out who the marine le pen of uh, malta is it's just rig the maltese election from sydney work out the maltese trump yeah and uh and do an episode on on politics prior to that uh, for sure, tournament. sure. <laughs> that'd be juicy um i bet you they're i bet you they're doing it in the mansion of some corrupt maltese yeah, like definitely poly as well definitely dude. definitely there's there's definitely it's like what if they just did it in like the Trump Tower in Malta? If there is one, like just something super on the nose, like. <laughs> no, I think this is a good idea. I really think we should find out who the Maltese Trump is, yeah, uh, and um, stir up a bit of you know for sure, bit, and a then, bit of political. Uh... And I'll, I'll get my HLTV, the my contact there to like ask all the players about like whether they support like this obscure Maltese like far right candidate. Sonny's just there being all finished like uh, oh, I don't know man like oh no wait who's at the uh, tournament I wonder who from uh, Dreamhack uh, I mean uh, Supernova Malta would be supportive of a far right Maltese candidate why would you mention Sonny um, I don't know for some reason there's this like I've done an interview with him before and it was just it was just jumped into my head and also because of Meeknos but in terms of people that oh we've, we've got some good candidates we've got some good candidates I definitely think um, I don't know. I don't know. I might get myself into some hot water here, but like that me. was a very that was a very nimble pirouette. Yeah. Oh, what can I say? I'm. I'm. If if we're walking on ice, are you calling well Sunny a neo-Nazi? Yeah. It's, look. Hey. 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 <laughs> Steady on. Steady on, bro. I like. Um. Yes. Yes. I am. That's exactly what I'm saying. Um. Look. This this podcast has has regularly, in as many words, told the listeners to stop playing Counter Strike. Uh, it's told the listeners in as many words to stop gambling. Yeah. Uh, there's very few parts of the CSGO uh, ecosystem that I haven't criticized heavily at some point. Uh, if we can get politics in there. Yeah, just shoehorn it in. Yeah. <laughs> it'd be good. For sure. Before we before we uh, wrap this up, because I know we've been a, a little while and it's a, it's a beautiful Monday afternoon. Um, we need to get down to the serious business. Uh, apart from the fact that, um, actually, three questions: Have you seen Ace in the Hole? No. Have you seen the front page? I don't watch. I like no. <laughs> this, if if we're talking like uh, specific games of Counter Strike, maybe. But uh, I'm, I'm quite bad with movies. But feel free to jump jump. Have in. you seen all the President's Men? No, I haven't seen shit, dude. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. if you're going to become a journalist, these are the three movies you should watch. <laughs> all right, I'll take note. Put those in the show notes. Ace in the Hole, Billy Wilder classic, front page, another Billy Wilder classic, All the President's Men, obviously massive classic. Uh, check them out. And um, I find that surprising because those were the films that really inspired like a whole generation of journalists before you. Oh, um, yeah, true. I, I, I don't even know who would inspire me to be like um, probably a, la- a distinct lack of ability in many other areas. That, that was pretty that was pretty inspiring. <laughs> well, this is by default then, is it? Uh, more or less. I don't know. It's a uh, it's um, I, I know I, I definitely interrupted your chain of references there, though. No, no, no. My my, my the, I think that the actual nitty gritty really is. Uh, are you dating anyone right now? <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. Are you really? Yeah. Well, that's nice. How long's that been? Um, about six months. Ooh. And was that um was that 
facilitated by dating apps? Uh, in a way, yes, but in like a strange way. It's a, it's a very strange uh, start to a relationship where in um, 2000 and what are we in 18 now? So 2015, I met this girl on a dating app. So when I was in grade 11 of high school and then we never talked to each other in person through um, by means of like talking through this dating app. But since since that wait, wait, point, wait, hold on, hold on. You were 15 on a dating app. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was this was back in the Wild West. No, no, no. no I was 16, 16. This was before they put age restrictions on everything um, okay. when it was just floated out there. And uh, so I was talking to this um, girl who's now my girlfriend and we did and we never met each other in person. Then um, fast forward where like I, I saw her once just walking around my Brisbane, just saw her once. And then just saw her once from her from the bushes outside. Her yes. House. Yeah. And then again and then again and then again. And then um, no. And then like six months ago, I sort of messaged her out of the blue just because I remembered that we had a lovely chat those years ago. And um, she's uh, a musician. And so I'd seen her play as well. And um, then we just hit it off. Now we've been dating for six months. Was it seeing her play that made you remember the lovely chat you'd had? No, because I saw I had seen her play uh, like in 2015, but never actually had talked to her. Oh. Yeah. So Why didn't you talk to her? You were at a gig. Um, oh, I don't know. You, you'd, you'd have to ask 16-year-old Max, and that's a very different person <laughs> than what it is now. <laughs> <laughs> How lovely. So you remembered that you'd had a sweet convo. You were sitting around one day. Mm. You'd just finished watching a fanatic versus <laughs> yeah. whoever VOD. You I was, were like... Yeah, I was, I was sexually charged. I just finished like watching one. I was just ready to like message a woman out of the blue you know watching a fanatic wow. game sometimes does that it just... okay i was going the other way but uh <laughs> i was gonna say you're feeling a bit lonely a bit oh depleted. true 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 fair, very fair very fair <laughs> but i'm glad to hear you were sexually charged as, as stacy might say you were thick and pumped and yeah. you were ready to reignite uh, an old connection yes and so how long are you going away for then oh this is the, uh, i like where this is leading. this is uh so i'll be mm. away till because after, because because I'll be making, I'll be breaking even from the um, money I'll make from um, DreamHack and uh, EPL. To me, mm-hmm. it's it's the experience gain from being able to interview people, but it's also essentially a zero dollar plane ticket to uh, Europe. Yeah. And so because I'll and I have money saved, and so the money that I've saved, I'm gonna use to stay with um, some family in London and then holiday in Spain for about three weeks afterwards. So I'll be returning. January 20th, January 18th, roughly. Excellent. So that's quite a while away. It is quite a while away. So uh, what are you guys going to do? Um, you're going to have a little... You're going to take a break or are you going <laughs> to uh, power through? No, no, power power through probably. It's because uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it's long, but it's not like not that long. And it's also... Um, so I'm coming home. So uh, just, just one of those things where probably a lot of... Um, you know the, those forty-minute-long phone calls that tend to happen, um, mm. and then but like she also has flown away a fair bit for gigs and things like that, and so um, there's 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 been some trial periods of absence from each other. Ah, so you're dating a rock star, basically, is what you're trying to tell us, <laughs> and you're used to used to this. I'm life. used to this lifestyle. Yeah, she's dating the CS:GO rock star now because I'm in uh, mm. Denmark and Sweden, just talking to a bunch of video game players. It's two very S- different slash ways. CS:GO monster, depending yeah. on who the uh, sponsor is of, exactly. of the day. Uh, you know the um, I was going to say the um. Oh, the month-long thing. Yeah, some people say that, um, you know, oh, it's terrible. We're going to be away for a month. But 
I mean, at least in your case, you guys didn't speak for three years after meeting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it reminds me of that old thing where it's like, oh, like I haven't had sex in six months or I haven't had sex in a year. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. driest period. And it's like, no, 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 you didn't go for sex, you, you know, without, you, you were without sex for probably 13 years. Yeah, yeah, life, yeah, yeah. Minimum. Yeah. At you, know, least, like you can yeah. do it. And then if you're a CSGO journalist, dude, you're, you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> ooh, ooh. That's cheap. <laughs> I um the reason I bring it up I've I've brought in the apps I don't know if you've been listening to my pod recently I assume you you sort of just listen to old episodes in the car and repeat but yeah, for uh, sure. the um I've been recently on a on a dopamine purge oh, okay. and am off all these addictive substances and activities but um because I was feeling so depleted of good feelings I reinstalled some apps and went a little too hard <laughs> On set apps, you 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 uh, go all right on those apps. I saw I saw your pretty little face at IM Sydney. You 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 go all right on them. Thank you. Um, although I believe the correct term is handsome. But, yeah, um, pretty will do. <laughs> Got to keep it light. Uh, yeah, no, I cleaned up, and uh, <laughs> but I did. My my eyes were a little bigger than my stomach. I have yeah. to say, and uh, you know, I, f- I found a funny thing. If you if you so I've been going quite well in 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 just focusing on doing doing myself and improving my own life and transforming my own life and and being single Mm -hmm. and then i suddenly had like four dates with four different girls in the space of seven days and on the fifth day or you know after this fourth date i felt so hollow and (laughs) depressed and depleted and disconnected from like my actual self i felt like i was like a balloon that had just been let go it was um really bizarre that's crazy. Have you had what? a run of uh, sort of standalone dates like that prior? No, it's been a long time. So I, I had a small a small time in my life where I was um, where I was in in overdrive yeah. in New York once, which was uh, which was unforgettable. But yeah. uh, this was <laughs> this was um, a little more clinical. I found yes. that was more a period of discovery, and this was more like. I don't even know why I was doing it. You know, I think that was the main reason why I felt disconnected because it wasn't like a, you know, especially when you're my age and you're seeing girls who are 32, 31, yeah. 30, even 28, they have a very clear agenda. Which yeah, is, yeah. Which is, which is, you know, they're often very upfront about it as Definitely. well. Oh, excellent. <laughs> this is so, um, like, uh, it's making me giddy to hear for some reason. I know because I don't have anyone that like is candid enough at like 34 to talk to me about these things. So it's, uh, it's excellent to hear. I'm here for any and all of your questions, Max. <laughs> excellent. Uh, but, but the thing is though, like if I really examine my motivations, it was because I was de- devoid of like a, a short-term stimulus, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't have any coffee. I didn't have any video games. I wasn't jacking off. I wasn't watching porn. Uh, I wasn't even drinking alcohol. I wasn't even eating sugar. Wow. And so, like, just getting some instant feedback from a woman, which you can do on a date quite quickly. Definitely. You know, you can and you can meet up with a pretty girl quite quickly and quite and 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 get the sorts of sort of social rush that, um, you know, I think I've talked about this in this podcast before. But a lot of addictions, and I think uh, this is gaining a lot more traction recently. A lot of addictions can come down to a lack of connections, and mm-hmm. so the instant, instantaneous, almost connection of dating apps. Actually, I could see it could become quite addictive. Yes, if you uh, if you sort of let it take over, to start eating sugar again, dude. Like it's, it's pretty good. Nah, sugar sucks, dude. You know what <laughs> it is? It's like it's having the time to just sit and think. 
That's yeah. what it is. It's being patient enough to think and like be okay with my thoughts. Yeah. I've got to meditate. That's what I got to do. I, I, yeah, I know. That's uh, it's sort of a, it's a blanket solution for a lot of problems. It's just mindfulness and meditation, I think. I think this podcast is going to be um, quasi-meditative in the future. Actually, I have done a meditation session on this podcast before. A Sam Harris-esque sort of show. Uh, yeah, Sam Harris-esque. But we had we had a 10-minute meditation on um, around about episode 8 or 9, I think, actually. So you should go back into the archives if you are listening and feel like a bit of uh, truth CSGO podcast meditation. What? What? How old's your How old's your um, current squeeze? Uh, 19, same age as me. All right, it's you guys are. Why do you like hearing what a thirty-four-year-old's got to say? It's a long way off. Yeah, but it's also interesting because it's uh very you you are under very different pressures and uh, encounter social situations very differently than what I would in the way I would encounter them. Well, women who are nineteen want have a very different set of priorities yes. in general than yes. women who are my age. So, um, yeah, it it is a long way away. But that's also why I find it interesting though, because it's uh. A bit, a bit foreign because like I don't know it's not like my parents they're, they're both 50 roughly so mm-hmm. it's this weird middle ground between my peers and my parents and their friends right well you know what uh, actually one of the most interesting parts about doing this dating is that it's a little bit like watching The Bachelor yeah um, yeah and you you get a bit of an overview of what the temperature in Australian <laughs> romance is like yeah because as uh, women tell you you know as long as you turn up and you're a nice guy and you're polite and uh and you're reasonably normal, they'll start telling you all about what their other dates have been like and what the problems yeah, with true. Australian men. Gotcha. And the, 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 the general complaint is that men in their 30s in Australia uh, are not interested in any sort of commitment. Um, they're, they're, they're still living in a sort of extended adolescence and mm. um, either they think their options are unlimited, which might actually be somewhat the case, seeing as I think there's been a few studies recently, especially looking at the statistics from sites like OkCupid and Match.com and Tinder and stuff that point towards the uh, market, sexual market value of men really peaking around the age of 50, whereas wow. the sexual market value of women peaks more around the age of 23. Makes sense. Uh, so unfortunately, there, there seem to be a lot of frustrated women who are date, trying to date guys their own age around the age of 32, 33, 34, mm. uh, and discovering that actually they're completely unsuited. And I think another another thing could be that, you know, we do have a lot of men who can get a lot of uh, stimulus just from living by themselves, playing video games, Definitely. watching porn, being in VR worlds, uh, and it's quite risk-free comparatively. Um, yeah, I think um, you, you will have a... Uh, if, if, you, if you can stay with this girl for a long time... Mm. And you're satisfied with her. <clears throat> That's the best way to learn about women because you can see Definitely. how they change over time, uh, and and you're over that period of uh, trying to work out what lies you're telling each other. You know, because we all sort of tell each other 100%. lies unconsciously when we when we're interested in getting to know each other. And the quicker you get off, get over that, the, the quicker you can be truthful and actually be honest about what you both want. Well, yeah, it's uh, fortunately I'm like an extremely awkward person so um i need like a lot of chat uh and like a lot of sort of uh like verbose verboseness before engaging in anything physical so there's been like a lot of i know it's super strange especially because i went to an all-boys school um Mm. 
for from like the ages of 11 till 17 and so yeah. i find it very weird talking to girls in general and i understand exactly what you're saying in terms of like seeing the progression over time especially within a relationship mm-hmm. i don't know like i don't know anything but it's just it, it it's just interesting to watch because it's like i don't have a reference point of having like grown up alongside a girl per se so it's mm-hmm. i know it's weird I totally identify with that. I went to an all boys school and it was Catholic as well. Yeah. <clears throat> and when you're nervous, you just, you talk to fill the space, right? And, yes. And, and I think if you're, if you're anything like me, you're a bit of a geek in some ways. Mm-hmm. And so you had to develop some of those other facilities. Like you're, you're actually quite mature in a lot of ways, Max, and you've got a, a verbosity about you that I'm sure there are guys who are much more successful with women in high school or whatever who didn't have. Uh, and as that field evens up, you'll overtake them because the, they're not going to develop that side because they don't need to. Mm. But I think actually one of the main things that uh, you, you, you take away from dating at this age is that obviously there's a lot of people left who are not who were not satisfied with their own lives enough or themselves enough to be satisfactory for another person. Mm. So they're not married to someone else who was happy True. enough with themselves or like survivorship bias <laughs> right yeah yeah okay there's some of that but but i think also like you you meet a lot of people who haven't had enough experience oh with men gotcha women, gotcha who just have not really put themselves out there enough to be heard enough to actually know what the deal is like they they still have like i i meet a lot of women who are still trying to tre- treating me or treating dates like we're at high school you yeah know? yeah and it's like they haven't actually been through those embarrassing stages where, like you say, you're, you're talking a million miles an hour because you don't actually know whether, like, should I put my arm around her? Should yes. I get naked here? Like, does, yes. is, it, is, it, is it really bad to ask her for a blowjob? Is it, uh, w- would it be really misogynistic if I did that? Um, mm-hmm. You know, am I supposed to go down on a girl every time? Uh, and we're straying into territory right now that this podcast has never been to. But, <clears throat> um, <laughs> like, I think if you get past that, <clears throat> then then you're capable of having an adult relationship. And if you haven't gotten past that point at the age of 32, then like you've seriously been failed by society. And especially yeah. when you watch shows like The Bachelor and stuff, obviously those people are but it's also fucked up un- in a lot of ways. But it's like but- understandable as well, because um, like the way you framed all those questions, are not nec- it, it, it's all with the, like the, in- the awkwardness stems from like good intention where like, I just hope I don't make a misstep here. And so it's always like... Uh, you're going to assume agency where there is none a lot of the time, at least at least in the way that it's happened with me. But I don't know, is, is it, I guess it's different when you like nearly double the age. It's sort of expected that, that um, the, the, the barriers of, uh, and then the walls of the, the pathway through sort of from meeting someone for the first time until eventually sleeping with them. If it's sort of this map and it's this labyrinth you have to go through, you have to take a turn here and you can't go down that way because it's a dead end and you're going through it. I think, the walls must be more solid than they are at for, for at least someone at my age. Oh, right. As in, as in the, the people, as in, you know, what you like and you don't like. Yeah. And also just like more what firmly and also, yeah. What, what, what's, what's reasonable to ask and when, um, well, yeah. look, it, it, like anything is reasonable if you're asking it with good faith. Right. And I think the best, the thing that happens is you grow up. That's, really wonderful is that you you get to be you get to own what it is that you want and Mm. growing up in an all-boys school growing up in a catholic school and growing up in like i think quite a a puritan society comparatively like 
you date someone from uh, Spain or France, for instance, yes. and, and you feel like an absolute like choir boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> it makes you realize how much shame you have around sex, how much shame you might have around uh, being like owning what you, what it is that you want. And mm. I think when you get to your mid thirties, hopefully you know enough about what you want, but also you know enough about what women want True. or what the other sex wants, so that you're being honest and you're not. Uh, you're not acting in bad faith and you're not pretending that you want something else just to get what you want because women and men, especially in their 20s, do that a lot. Yes. Guys pretend that they want a commitment and girls pretend that they just want casual sex when in yes. actual fact, the opposite is often true and we can trick each other for a very long period of time right up until the point where we get married and continue tricking each other. Uh, and if we're honest about that up fr- uh, and upfront about that, then at least we've got the opportunity to approach a relationship as yeah. equals as opposed to uh that's super interesting trying to trick each other into getting what we want because like for me at my age it's still like um like sex is still like wait what really like we get to do this what <laughs> like you know you know it's still like so i'm like dude are you sure like this is <laughs> um so it's it's you know I, I know. Is that what you say? Dude, are you sure? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, hey, hey, hey. Back up. Like, even like six months into the relationship, I'm like, hey, hey, what? Like, do I need to sign a waiver? Like, is this free? Is this, you know, like, oh, wow. This yeah, is- newsflash. Women enjoy it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's. As much as men. It's, um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm just over here scribbling down notes and just like getting the cheat codes for the next 15 years of my existence, I think. Well, look, I think. You know, when people say women want it just as much as men, they just have different conditions for wanting it. Mm. And one of our conditions that biologically speaking, we would generally prefer is that we can have sex with a woman and then continue to have sex with other women. True. uh, Because that gives our genes the greater chance of spreading, right? But but conditionally, women want to have sex with the knowledge that we will stick around and take care of the offspring. And bi- biologically speaking, obviously, there's a lot of variance either mm-hmm. way. So actually, after that initial act of having sex, we have opposing uh, desires. Yeah, so yeah, sure. At, at your age, it doesn't really make much of a difference because I think most women at, at, at that age are, are interested in, in basically experimenting and learning and having fun and discovering themselves and discovering what they like and that's what that period is all about but it doesn't take long i think um australia is quite quite different to other countries but um in some ways but i I think you know you've got several years before they really start thinking about well actually my priorities beyond just having sex are actually quite different to what i'm seeing yeah guys are wanting and and obviously the pressure on the girl to think about that is uh backgrounded by the um um, pressure of a child which a guy doesn't have which is a huge factor i think mm. um because like even i know like even because um, uh, i've I've, li- I've heard that said in sort of like a, a lecturing way but um then actually seeing sort of the difference between these girls i know and you very clearly sort of see it's like all right well you're really like focusing on a career now when you're 19, you know, I don't know how mature your bird is or whether how long she's been at university, but when you're in high school, it's all about status mm-hmm. and and often just good looks. And when you're in university, depending on what university you're at or what you're studying, that can bleed into it a lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it can still be about status and good looks, but women are becoming much more susceptible to other displays of status like 
probably ways that you uh, were able to impress your bird with a bit of verbosity. Verbosity, for sure. Of, uh, it's, it's, it's all I've got. gymnastics. It's all I've got. It's, uh, it's just, yeah, just, just like it. And, and occasionally like a six syllable word. And they just drop, just, just, <laughs> you just, you just drop that in every five minutes and you're good. That's my dating advice to all your listeners. Just six syllable words, baby. That's where it's at. All you nineteen-year-olds who are struggling out there and need some Max Mellit. Yeah, yeah. And having then, a name, having a superhero-esque name is probably pretty good too, though. Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, yeah. I don't, I don't know how what, what, what percentage of the pie chart that makes up, but it's definitely on there. It's definitely on there. I think it's pretty sure it's a large slice. Should we wrap this up? <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. We can probably talk about this forever. Maybe we should do a uh, a dating-only episode Potent- in the future, potentially, where it's just like a series series of like just scribbling on my end. And I'm just like, oh yeah, please tell me more about like how it, how should this should go down because it's not talked about ever, really. At least in the in the uh, avenues that I operate in, I never hear stuff like this. It's good. Uh, any last words before we say goodbye? Thank you for the chat and uh, the far-reaching re- chat as well. We've talked about everything. It's been great. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, man. Until next time. Till next time. And now it's time for player. player. Our player of the week is Fallen. Fallen of MIBR. He had a rating at the ECS finals of 1.18 over 9 maps. He was only 0.01 lower than the MVP of the tournament, Device, who was 1.19 over 11 maps. Fallen's KD was 30 kills. He had the highest amount of AWP kills in the tournament with 126, and the second best was Device with only 88. And uh, he also had the highest amount of opening kills with 48. So that's a pretty crazy stat for someone who's IGLing as well. The main reason he is our Player of the Week is because he was such an important player on the scene in 2017. And so to see him coming back in form possibly means a huge shake-up to the scene once again. Goodness, Fallen, that was disgusting. Oh. He keeps pushing forward past the smoke. The flashbang was perfect. Takes down Device, follows it up with Magus as well. And that's a five on three. Remember, this is a heavy reset round as well. Right at time. Yeah, the Fallen Zorb can do enough damage here. If he finds the first shot, they're onto something. Four on two, but he knows he has to actually be aggressive here. There's the first. Takes down Mages. First of many, though. Good smoke from the CTs in response. The bomb ticks away. Tarek is on barely any HP. gets one kill. That might be enough to keep them alive. It is actually looking quite good for MBR now, as they can't find anything. Astralis are dropping. It's now a two versus one. The pistol is out. Device knows exactly where Fallen is, but can he find a shot in time? He cannot. It all falls apart. MIBR somehow steals that round compromised position and uh, he'll be falling back as the bomb makes his way towards the side. Good shot from Fallen. Excellent work oh, from him wow. so far. He continues to hit absolutely everything here, man. He's got all three kills in this round and he's absolutely destroying his round. Here ends the podcast. If you enjoyed it, let me know on Twitter at the truth CSGO or via email, the truth at the truth CSGO.com. You can also spread the word by sharing it on your social media or leaving reviews on iTunes. We also have a Discord for the podcast and the address is on the Twitter page. The news and player of the week audio was compiled by Josh. The music was by Beaufort. And this podcast is affiliated with CSGO to Asia, your premier news service for Counter-Strike across the Asian scene. Until next time, enjoy the game. Enjoy the game.